Welcome to We Do, the officially unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. I'm Jim. Uh, I'm Aaron. And we have seen season one, episode nine, the season finale, maybe series finale of Watchmen, See How They Fly, more than once now. Motion to rename the podcast, we did. We did. We have to, yeah. <laughs> uh, after seeing it a few times, what what is your impression, I guess, of this episode and then maybe a little bit overall of the, the season and how those things fit together? I don't remember if we talked about this last week, because I know it's a very long podcast. Um, but in my experience with Lindelof, of course, I didn't finish. I didn't stay with Lost till the end. I, I abandoned it after I finished season two, thinking that, oh, I'm not sure about this. Could be another X-Files. Uh, <laughs> but I did watch The Leftovers, and most of The Leftovers seasons followed similar to like a wire trajectory where like the most explosive and amazing and jaw-dropping episode was like the penultimate. And then the, yeah. the fi- finale was inevitably still very, very good, but it was almost all like emotional payoff mm-hmm. um, and and delivering the emotional payload that all the, the previous awesome stuff led up to. And I felt like that there was a little bit of that in this episode, that this wasn't maybe as jaw-dropping and amazing and tight as even the episode that came before it. Uh, a lot of this was like inevitable work through of the stuff that they set in motion in the previous episodes. But, you know, like I think there was a lot of emotional payoff and, and, and especially with Dr. Manhattan and Angela, you know, one of the formative mm-hmm. experiences of Dr. Manhattan, the last human emotion or moment he had was being abandoned by the woman he loved to his fate that she couldn't bear to watch him being ripped apart. So he had to endure that alone. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really emotional experience to have Dr. Manhattan with all of his power uh, keep his wife nearby so that she can be because he doesn't want to die alone again. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you to the extent that you un- know Dr. Manhattan's character and you remember that and, you know, the whole like I'm I'm I'm, you know, where are you at this moment? I'm every possible moment that we ever spent together simultaneously. I mean, that's all I mean, I'm kind of kind of getting choked up remembering it. So like all that stuff really hit. There's a couple of things that didn't quite connect and like it's kind of a bummer that Looking Glass felt like that he mm. was really kind of superfluous in the last episode. Oh, yeah, um, completely. And, you know, uh, that for the joke meme, uh, the lube man, you know, that we, we essentially right. get a, a single page PDF send off for him and the PD files. But yeah, I mean, I, I I really like it. I think this is an amazing accomplishment. Like when I think back of like what Dan, Damon Lindelof wanted to do is he wanted to do something that honored the original Watchmen and generated the same kind of feelings and emotions that people that are reading reading that felt. And I felt like he did. This is a very fresh take on Watchmen that felt very Watchmen and yeah. felt as important in 2019 as the original did in, in 85. Yeah, and, and you you kind of understated how much he wanted to also make something unique you know he talks a lot about how he didn't want to simply re re rerun the formula you know like uh like an adrian Veidt rerunning the squid formula Mm -hmm. um and i think yeah he he nailed that it it felt like you said very much watchman but also very much its own thing um there's a lot of stuff so i i think this is a really great finale for a really a really great season of television it's probably not gonna hit my top three the, those are those are a lock until I see something that really blows me away. Right, right. Um, though this did for a lot of people, and I can understand why uh, to a large degree. But I do think that in the end, I had some big questions that I didn't feel were answered within the show, um, particularly around Ozymandias. I, I feel like so. I feel like this this 
show got 90% of the way to its finish line on a couple of threads and, uh -huh. and 100% of the way on some other threads. Like the, you mentioned the Angela and Dr. Manhattan stuff, which I thought was awesome, but the Angela and Will stuff and just the Angela and Angela stuff, um, the Angela and Sister Knight stuff, I thought was really, really strong. Uh -huh. And I think they, they got to the end zone with that one. Mm -hmm. But I look at stuff like Ozymandias and I start to think, hmm, did they connect all the dots on that? Because it took me listening to the podcast and listening to Damon Lindelof explain what the hell is going on in on Europa uh, through the entire series for me to actually get what they were going for. Because Damon Lindelof in the podcast says that this play that we sort of think is dropped halfway through the season, right? It's like, oh, he's writing this play. He's performing this play. Well, now his focus has shifted to escaping. Right. Damon Lindelof says because like, before you explain it because like that was my ex my uh, what I surmised about the the Europa stuff is that Ozymandias is originally thrilled to be there because it's some place that he can indulge in his narcissism mm -hmm. and he can see a perfect society and he could see like you know what I mean if he bent his mind to organizing these individuals and inspiring them what could he do uh, and then he quickly drew grew you know, impatient with the limitations of these people and the monotony of dealing with these like, you know, altruistic people. And he slowly mm -hmm. started to go crazy and realize he had no way out. And then knowing that lady, he, he, you know, with his genius mind, he knew exactly the date and time that lady true is going to get a satellite there to give the lay eyes on Dr. Manhattan. So that gave him something to work for. Like he you're, wanted, you're a hundred percent right on all of that. And that's the thing is like he, and I, like I, Oh, uh, and like you know the fact that he had the gauge like that that wasn't just the ninth 90 millionth time that the satellite had gone around Europa that was the very first time it activated yes I think you're supposed to understand uh -huh. okay so like, he was looking for Dr. Manhattan certainly yeah but but like what what Lindelof said about how important the fight the, the 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 play about the watchmaker's son like I don't yeah. So, so I don't what think he said, that made it to the screen, in my opinion. I agree, 100%. Uh, what he says is that everything we see is uh -huh. part of that play. And the doctor, or sorry, Ozymandias wrote all of the stuff that happens on Europa. And that's part of keeping himself sane, right? That's part of the stuff that we got from the screen. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't understand until listening to him say that is that the play wasn't dropped. The play was executed. It was just executed in a way that I didn't quite realize yeah i mean i think i like the fact because to me like it's possible to play a game of chess against yourself mm -hmm. where you make the best play and then you go to sit down inside the table and say, okay if this happened to me and you make the best play and you make the best and you know the other way you can play uh chess against yourself is the stupid way which is you just have one side kick the other's ass sure i feel like if Ozymandias didn't have a worthy opponent, it's because he didn't give the game warden material to work with. And I don't know. I mean, maybe, or maybe he's missing all of his major pieces, right? Yeah. And it, maybe I, Phillips and Crookshanks, just as a creation of Dr. Manhattan, aren't up to the task. It period. Could be, but. Because they don't have that, that uh, sort of self preservation bone right yeah but if you went and told the game warden like you know hey i'm going to do this next thing and here's how i would here's how you could stop me and then uh -huh. he has to think like i don't know it felt like it, it felt everything felt petty and mean-spirited mean which you know if, if you're talking about a raging narcissist that's yep. fine but like the I, I don't know it seems crazy to me like what 
what is with the tomato trees? What's with the smashing on his face? What's with the rich? Like, I, I thought to me, it's more interesting if that was just like li- literally like some kind of primitive criminal justice system of these uh, utopian uh, empaths come up with. Like, this is the worst punishment they can think of, mm-hmm. you know, to like earnestly beg someone to follow the rules and when they don't smash a tomato in their face. Like, that's their idea yeah. of the death penalty. That stuff is really <laughs> fucking cool. But like the fact that Ozymandias scripted it all out. Yeah, and not under, not understanding that led to a fundamental misunderstanding of Adrian Veidt until the very end of this season on my part. So, because, uh, so how, how did your understanding change then, I guess? So I thought over the course of this experience on Europa, he was coming to some realization about his former actions. You know, his, ah, the, yes. the squid and killing three million people and the tear that he was shedding yeah. was over that. It turns out, and this is an extremely hard thing, I think, to convey on screen without just saying it, mm-hmm. is... Ozymandias was trying to elicit that emotion from himself and he failed and that's what the tear is about and this is what Lindelof says in the podcast I fundamentally misunderstood that moment but uh, until we got to the finale and he goes right back to doing the exact same thing he was doing after killing Lady True or trying to before he gets arrested then I finally understood what that moment was uh huh and, and I, I guess that works in retrospect, but it was very confusing in the moment. And and I don't feel like the other half of that, the part where he wrote everything happening there, mm-hmm. actually made it into the final product. Yeah, it wasn't isn't I? And I, I I could be mangling this, but wasn't there also a quote from Alexander the Great about like he thought about all the worlds that have yet to be discovered um, and all the peoples that he would never meet, and he wept that he wouldn't be given a chance to conquer them. I think that's like right. that's like is that like Ozymandias and like. <sighs> Yeah, I'm just never I'm I'm just never going to develop this empathy thing. Like I thought mm-hmm. this would be some kind of cleansing thing. I thought this would get me cuz cuz I do think that maybe he sees that as a flaw. Like like there that the that he's smart enough to recognize himself as flawed and like his his whole shtick is I'm going to eliminate every human weakness from me. I'm going to be like the perfect human. Mm-hmm. But a perfect mm-hmm. human that can't like empathize with his fellow men or understand yeah. the way they tick enough to you know guide them properly or control you know control them properly um i see that as a weakness but it's like one of those things where it's like well you know how are you going to fix it how would you possibly fix the fact that you just don't have empathy or that you think you're better than everyone no he's he's a bit of a sociopath yeah uh, in his his ego his arrogance his narcissism yeah, and clearly didn't le- le- learn a damn thing because, like, what no. he said to the game warden is so fucking cruel in context. <laughs> right? Was I was I master? Was I worthy adversary? No. And then after he dies, like, like it, it would have been like if he has no, and then they said, "But you put on a hell of a show." That probably, but he goes no, and then he the guy dies, and he as he walks away, he mutters, "But you put on a hell of a show." Like, <laughs> yeah, what an asshole. Uh- <laughs> but then there are, there are other moments that I think absolutely land. Like I talked, you know, I briefly mentioned the. Angela Sister Knight stuff, which which is wrapped up in the Angela Will stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I think by the end of this, the the concept of masks they've done so much with them throughout this series, um, and, and I think really bringing it home with that that scene with Will and Angela at the end was perfect, uh, and it, it said everything it needed to say, and then we it, it also encouraged us to say, okay, how is this person who is still healing you know she she just took off the mask very recently and she's still healing what if she gets these powers what is she going to do with them uh I, I think those are all the kinds of questions we're asking at the end yeah. as opposed to like 
is she or isn't she the new Dr. Manhattan? I think that's a less interesting question. Well, it is also because, like, yeah, it's like the question. So the question is, what would a wounded, um, you know, damaged, traumatized person do with the powers of Dr. Manhattan? Like, Dr. Manhattan himself was a but, but one who, who wounded, key, traumatized person. It's key, though, that she understands that now, right? Mm -hmm. She didn't before. When she was putting on the Sister Night costume, she had no fucking idea why she was doing it. She yeah. was just angry. Yeah. Uh, turns out, you know, that's, that's fear. That's hurt. Yeah. Um, and... Now she understands that she's got this pain. And I think that's the key, right? Like she's not, she's a little more enlightened than, than a lot of people would be, uh, you know, two episodes ago. So yeah, what does that kind of person do with those powers? Um, I feel like Lady True in some ways was a pre this episode version of Angela. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I really wanted to see what she would do with those powers. She mm -hmm. says she's going to do good things with them. But does she understand what she's getting into well enough to actually do that? I don't know. Yeah, I. That's that's a, that's a, there's, there's a reason why the show cuts as her foot touches the water because yeah. if you if that frame went a second longer, you open up an enormous can of worms that have to be answered and yeah. the implications have to be pondered. And now, like you. It's like uh you know uh, like 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 scientists say you can't ever see back past the Big Bang like this is mm -hmm. like that in the future this is Doctor Manhattan's tachyon radiation like we can debate <laughs> like 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 whether Until she did or not two. but like yeah see it's it's all for saved for someone in season two and I actually think that's if I was a Ryan Coogler for example and I was going to have the keys to the Watchmen uh, uh, vehicle flipped to me I would appreciate the ability to make those decisions myself. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and like, like, like have the creative freedom to like, well, do I want this person to be a God or do I want this person to fall in the swimming pool and there be no God? Or do I want the second to be like the search for Spock only it's Dr. Manhattan. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, that's, I think that's smart from, um, you know, a, a future potentialities standpoint of, of the Watchmen. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a little worried about a season two. Cause I think this is such a, a well wrapped package yes that if you try and unwrap it and play with the toys inside you run the risk of just repeating yourself and that's something that you know walking dead never got it just no. kept it kept doing the same thing over yeah. and over again and i've seen other shows do it but that's but the we, most we, we said example. that a lot in the 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 leftovers like sure you want more but holy right. cow every time you go back it's like you risk as you said just repeating yourself or diluting the impact of what you've already got yeah yeah watchman certainly this is not like uh uh this is not like a plot driven show where, and I think those are kind of the easiest ones. The ones that are emotionally driven, like, you mm -hmm. know, the leftovers um, are, are harder to tell. Um, and it's easier to kind of get into those kind of ruts. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it's almost, you know, I saw these headlines about like uh, um, that, that, that this show gained audience over time and its finale was the largest audience it ever had. And like HBO mm -hmm. is considering it kind of like a success. Like it, it seems almost inevitable that there will be another one. I, I think you're right. I don't know if Damon Lindelof is going to be involved. I, I really believe him when he says I need a I need an idea before I can say whether I'm mm -hmm. in or out. Yeah. Uh, because he does not seem like a guy who just writes for the sake of writing something. Sure. He sure. writes when he feels the. the he's need also to like write. conscious of like you know I'm a I'm this kind of white 
nerdy dude trying to tell a story that's not mine and i'd feel a lot more comfortable if there was somebody yeah. helming this that, that that had a personal relationship with this material like i'm just a guy who's read a couple articles and has kind of walked away shell-shocked and horrified by what i read mm -hmm. like but it's not my experience you know like i'm trying to yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be the john the baptist for uh, a, a black man or woman that will come before me and I'll prep the white audience to, to receive their message. Um, but I don't need to be the guy to delivering it. And I think but that's, I think what you just said is, uh -huh. is a, a, a portion of the equation that needed to be there too, like prepping the white audience. Like, yeah. Like, because I can very easily see a version of the black wall street thing that would not have shocked me the way that the episode one of this series did sure uh as someone who, who was completely unfamiliar with it right yeah. if if you come to this material with a sort of familiarization um and, and not understanding sort of the perspective of the people who didn't know anything about it uh-huh you run the risk of sort of underplaying it i think in a weird way to them yeah um but on the other hand damon lindelof absolutely could not have written this show himself mm -hmm. and and i'm super glad that he acknowledged that day one you know mm -hmm. he said it was a bit of a struggle to really understand his role in this whole scenario yeah. but eventually he got there and i think it shows like you know obviously i'm not a black person mm -hmm. uh i do live in america but i don't have the same experiences so i can't say like exactly how i would feel uh if i were and i had that sort of baggage with it mm -hmm. um but i think certainly from my perspective they've done a great job of it mm -hmm. oh and i think we are broadly speaking uh the intended audience you know like white middle america yeah. who watches these kinds of shows who's open to the idea for that, that is, portion of it's it, not yeah. going to be super reactionary to some of these ideas like yes i think uh you know we we, we are the audience and, and one of the audiences yeah one of the audiences but i think we're like one of the intended ones and um you're something to what you said that like you need somebody to uh you know like the uh <laughs> Uh, the key and peel joke like uh, that that uh, Obama needed it like an anger like a black man uh -huh. anger translator uh -huh. um, like this is in reverse like you needed uh, yeah. like a, a something to translate the anger and pain into something that you know would actually like penetrate you, the you needed a white person blinders translator right like yeah you need the yeah. mask you need the hood you need the mask right. you need the, the white eye makeup i guess and like that's something that like i've seen a lot in like progressive circles there's a lot of like black men and women who are like why do we do the same work our white counterparts do in terms of social justice in terms of economic justice and we get a tenth of the support that they do mm -hmm. because these are ours like you know why is it like a white person says to another white person yo racism is fucked up they'll like believe it but like if a black person says yo this is how racism has affected my life and my family's life it's like ah, eh, well you would say that because you want me and, to be and i mean but it's, it's the answer to that is because racism exists like that's it's a systemic thing right well, like it's the, not, not just everybody... that it's like in group out group like if you're driving and like uh -huh. someone comes up and says hey man i need money because i'm destitute and you're my only hope and i got my family and i need to get in like you'd be like yeah right this is a scam versus like if it's someone you knew or recognized yeah. you would be like oh my god let me help you out because that's like i mean for better or worse that's kind of how we're programmed and we need ambassadors uh to kind of like bring people into the group and be like no 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 these these people are okay mm -hmm. it's fucked up and it sucks but i think that's and then then you need those ambassadors probably to kind of step back once you know, to go uh, once people are inside the community. And I think that's kind of what 
we're getting with Lindelof. Like I, he, you know, I was the ambassador with this message, and it would be inappropriate for me to continue in that role because if you're going into second season two of Watchmen, you're not. No one's gonna like be like, "What the fuck is all this race?" Like we had that reaction in the first couple of weeks of Watchmen. There's like a huge backlash. So I thought oh, we we're yeah. gonna get cool Rorschach punching guys, and you're making me think about so many people did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in season two, you're not gonna have that. Like those that, right. those people are so like now. Let's have the unfiltered stories and voices because we're we're in it. And I don't know. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me, but I also understand why it's super offensive and. Uh, off-putting to hear that as uh, uh, you know, like a black man or woman. That, yeah, yeah, have yeah. To the, have... Your your contribution is not going to be valued as much. Yeah, as as someone of a different race. But you know, that's the, the white supremacy skin. we were talking about. Like, it's not yeah. just the clan. It's just like uh, this viewpoint is the best one, and it's everything else needs to yeah. be put through that. Like, that's you can't say like, well, you live in a white supremacist society. And be shocked when oh shit we live in a white supremacist society exactly so it's just hey we got we got a lot of, a lot of work to do we sure do got a lot of podcasts ahead so Jim. do we yeah you want to get into the recap <laughs> shall we housekeeping this housekeeping is all about saying Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year first off Merry Christmas because we're right in the middle of our Mary McAllister McLeanmas two Christmas harder celebrations. Last week, of course, we took in Larry the Cable Guy's misguided sequel to the Arnold Schwarzenegger flop, Jingle All the Way 2. Again, much like Home Alone 2 before it, the video podcast on this one is a must-see and exclusive to club members. This week, it's Die Hard 2's turn for the treatment. Bruce Willis trades in his white wife beater for a cozy Christmas sweater as all hell breaks loose at Dulles International Airport. In the immortal words of Ace News reporter Richard Thornburg's producer, Dick, this is nuts! We get a live watch, a podcast, and a video podcast dropping this Wednesday. Next week, it's Christmas, and on Christmas Eve, we'll drop one last gift podcast for our club members, a podcast for a beloved Christmas classic. I won't spoil the surprise. You're just going to have to wait for Santa. And we're also wrapping up a lot of things this week. Watchmen, put to bed. Mr. Robot, staying up past its bedtime with a double episode next weekend, which we'll cover after Christmas. Cecily and Alexis are wrapping up his dark materials the day after Christmas because what can I say? They just love you all that much. Jim and I will be watching a lot of Expanse over the breaks. So we can come back and talk it up in the new year. Speaking of, our early lineup for 2020 looks like it's going to have a lot of Picard, the new Pope, and Better Call Saul in it. And of course, somewhere out there, Westworld Season 2 awaits with Aaron Paul. I'm excited, but before all that, we're taking a week or so off to celebrate with our friends and family. So in conclusion, have a very Merry Christmas, a very Happy Holidays, and a wonderful New Year. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I wanted to ask people who just found us by uh, by this Watchmen podcast, and maybe you're not familiar with Bald Move and all the other shows we cover. Uh, we cover a lot of other television. Bald Move's not going away when Watchmen is over. It's not? No, well, for a couple <laughs> weeks, but we'll be back in the new year. Uh, I just want to go spend some time on Europa, try try to create some new lives. That's what I'm doing with my two weeks, yeah. Uh, I bought a large painting of Alexander. <laughs> Alexander the Great. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to use it for yet, but you know, I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> you going to get statuized with with that in your hands? Mm, yeah, it's, I don't know some novel use of lube. Uh, but we will be covering and updating you on all of our stuff uh, on Bald Move TV. If you just go to your podcast app and search for Bald Move TV, you'll find it. 
Uh, we'll also be, you know, waiting eagerly and letting you know when the next Damon Lindelof series is coming out and when we'll be covering it because we almost certainly will be. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine a subject that he would approach with the Damon Lindelof style that we wouldn't be interested in. Yeah, like what, paper mache? I'm going to do a hard no, ending expose of paper Yeah, I, seriously, <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of cool, yeah. For sure. I'm there. Uh, so yeah, join us over at Ball Move TV. Let's get into the recap. We start off in 1985, the day that Ozzy records his future message to the newly elected Robert Redford, who's not elected yet, but will be. Uh, Lady True's mother steals Ozzy's sperm and injects it into herself. Uh, should have seen this coming, cornerstone of the elephant mom philosophy. Yes. Uh, elephants inject themselves they, they store with sperm. the water in their trunks, so, like so much sperm, and uh-huh. then blast it in... No, okay. No, just, I'm sorry. Elephant okay. facts. <laughs> the, the elephant facts segment. We should uh-huh. have done this. We uh-huh. should have. Uh, what do you think of this scene? I, I'm trying to figure out Lady True's mother, Beyond. I mean, she, Did, like, she... Does she hate Ozzy? She hates Ozzy, right? She says, fuck you. Is this a is this a little pun? Is this a little like I think it's I think she I, I think she does have a lot of hate and disdain. It's probably hate and disdain that she's seen reflected, you know, from him. Like cause you get the idea that like a lot of these these guy holding the camera, the people cleaning the offices, they're all Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And you know, and they're recently like this is only what, 10, 15 years past them being conquered by Dr. Manhattan and the US uh government. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, they probably are trying they're probably not the best paid, you know, probably not the most respected. Mm-hmm. Um and the fact that she could without because he's she's beneath his notice come and and steal his genetic legacy for herself and, you know, uh wanting a better life for for her her own child um it is pretty elephant mom honestly well i was gonna say it's funny that you bring that up because i don't think that's not there like it, yeah. it or it, it sheds a new light on the the idea of a packeter mom right like yeah when your daughter is a superhuman mm-hmm. how would you raise her you have to raise her as if she's superhuman right you right. have to push her she'll probably push herself right and drag you along honestly yeah, yeah. uh so yeah, it it, it I, I always viewed that relationship as a little bit contentious, like uh-huh. the mother really pushing the daughter beyond sure. what a normal mother would. Yeah. But now I sort of understand why. You know, she is superhuman. Yeah. No, I mean, I was reading like that uh, the Tiger Mom book that like I guess this uh, Packarder Mom is like a loose uh, interpretation of, and like some of the stuff that she put her daughters up seemed fucked up to me. Yeah. Like I can't imagine like trying to inspire my child the way she would with some of this like you know like essentially i'm not going to love you if you can't get this piano concerto just right like wow. if you get away from the bench and you're not playing as perfect then you're disgusting and a pi- like wow that's disgusting yeah but it probably <laughs> drives certain types of children to very high it probably destroys others um and yes. it hasn't blow their brains out but like it also probably inspires a certain type of child to, it's kind of like bobby knight you know a famous basketball head coach for iu like infamously abused and demeaned his players but all of his players fucking loved and worshipped him um because he probably recruited a certain type that that would fit into that philosophy, but it's fucked up, like you know, throwing yeah. chairs around and 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 grabbing guys by the neck and the slapping them and calling them pussies and demeaning their manhood just because they didn't dribble fast enough in practice. Mm-hmm. Fucked up. Yeah, but he won a couple NCAA double or NCAA championships, so all's forgiven, I guess. And and it it she raised you know. a genius, so she she knows what she's doing. Yeah, which has me questioning a lot of things because beyond 
the clone version of Beyond, mm-hmm. is not a superhuman. Beyond is just a regular woman. You're correct. She's as 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 limited and fragile as you or I. So right. like she doesn't have super genius genes coursing through her DNA. Right. So I don't know why she's portrayed as like super intelligent and and it, well it, it raises the question I guess of nature versus nurture. That's a wise how about much to get to. I wonder if each this of those is, things is worth. I, I wonder if. Um... But the other thing is, like, we don't know that Bien's not. Like, she could be super genius. Um, we just wouldn't know that because she's a cleaning lady from Vietnam, Vietnamese instead of, like, an incredibly wealthy scion of an <laughs> empire. Well, every, that was every hand- smartest person yeah. uh, in the world has gone on to do amazing, great things. Uh-huh. Bian looks like she was not doing amazing great things, although yep. maybe she has like she but tinkers I, in the garage. I, don't I, know. I, I do wonder if it was an experiment by Lady True to see like if it was nature versus nurture, like if, uh-huh. if Bian can be. But I don't know because like there was some kind of weird like I just want my parent around to be proud of me too. I want mm-hmm. that. I, I miss my parents' counsel and you know like I and and you know, I I don't know like that's one thing like. I think would be a fascinating thread to pull in future Watchmen series if they are, is like what becomes a being. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And there are a million ways to go about that um, but with cloning in the mix. Mm-hmm. Anything else in the scene? Or? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, the the password. Why, why are Adrian Veidt's password so bad? The smartest man in the world comes up with world's worst password. Because you needed two dudes who are not hackers to be able to break into his thing, uh, to to move the plot around in a something in, from 1985 where Alan Moore had probably never used a computer mm-hmm. or had very, just recently started using, like, you know, this this is 1985 comic book hacking. And what are you, what are you going to do? Imagine Lady True's passwords. Her passwords must be like yeah. seven hundred characters long. Yeah, no, long. She's, she's she would definitely learn that lesson. You can't. You can't. Well, I'm thinking like every time she wants to remember her password, she just pops a pill, and she knows her password, <laughs> right? Like, right. I was wondering if her password's like pachyderm or something. It's something yeah, probably easy to guess. Yeah, just be on Mama's girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to 2008. Where Lady True goes to Ozzy's Antarctic lair, Karnak, to tell him that she's his daughter and ask for $42 billion to invest in her new machine to save humanity. Ozzy refuses her request, citing his past where he gave away his great inheritance to prove that he could achieve anything, starting from nothing. He also promises never to call her daughter. I wonder if that's being. Like, if, if Lady True could 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 raise a being from her mom's, you know, non-genius stock that is as capable than, like... That's the ultimate starting from nothing. Because even Lady True didn't start with a fortune, but she started mm-hmm. with like you know good good genetic yeah. stock. This is all very I mean, uncomfortable so eugenic and and what we're saying too, <laughs> right? Um, but late, yeah, like if 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 uh, her daughter mom Bien can like surpass her without that, then that's literally starting from from nothing. But yeah. it's not because she's got like. A parent who gives a shit about her. You can't start from nothing. When you're born into royalty or greatness, you can't start from nothing. Yep, which... You have your name at the very least. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the thing, like, uh, and this is pointed out in feedback, uh, that Ozzy bragging that he boasted. Like, like, dude, you grew up in a family who had a fortune among uh, unimaginable. You went to the best schools. You had the best food. You had the finest of instruction. Like, get Mm -hmm. the fuck out of here with... Like you, you know, you, you didn't have anything, right? You know, 
Like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's impressive that you gave it all away and you, you regained it in a single lifetime, but like much less impressive than if you just grabbed some random, yeah. you know, teenage orphan and, and demanded they do the same. Like so. John Osterman, perhaps. Exactly. Going from being this child running from the Nazis to being a, a I would say, genius physicist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I gather from this that Lady True, we were questioning, I think, like how old she is and what timelines and stuff. I'm not going to talk too much about the timelines, but I think she's like 34 years old based 80, on... Yeah, 85 to 2019. Yeah, so that she's tracks. maybe born in like 85, 86, uh-huh. uh, and then yeah. 2008. So she, modern day, she's probably 34. Mid-30s, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and we find out in this scene also that there is no pattern to the squids. It's all... Uh, randomized and it's all automated and so I think that explains how these things even in the absence of Adrian Veidt have -hmm. been continuing these squid showers it is wild that like what powers that you know like what kind of raw material like does it just pull shit from the Arctic Ocean or something because I probably just answered my own question because I did think of like okay automation fine but like is the supply chain like who's supplying the organic material for the squids but eh, maybe he's just pulling it from the sea or f- from the ice pack or or whatever he's a lot smarter than me the te- the yeah. technology is also honestly more fantastic than i than i had get than i had imagined it like halfway through the series like i thought that like technology might be different than what we had but it wouldn't be so much so much more advanced but you know by the end of the series we've got you know, super efficient fusion drive rocketry. We've got solar system spanning deep space telescopes. We got yeah. uh, anti grav technology. We got all kinds of. You got we got uh, state. You know, uh, cryogenic technology that's essentially perfect. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's it's for so like that. that, that it was a lot more for far sci fi than I than I thought going into it. So it's it's hard yeah, for me to say. Very very much, uh, in my opinion, more fantasy than sci fi. It like yeah. crosses that line for me. Yeah. Um, What's funny to me is that, like, this is a purely random distribution of squid attacks. So, of course, humans found patterns in them. Like, oh, there's, there, you know, we right. saw the reports of, like, oh, there's more squid fall in, in Soviet and Eastern Bloc states. Mm-hmm. Like, but it was because it turns it was out random. there's more landmass there. It's like, so you like need, when you flip a coin, it lands up five, uh, heads five yeah. times in a row. Oh, my God, what does it mean? It means it's a random distribution, dumbass. Like, yeah. Like that, I it's man. That's the hardest thing to get into people's heads. Wait, wait until the. the I ret- feel it too. The return to the mean yeah. and Rhode Island just gets shit on for years. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. God, squid falls uh-huh, every other day. Uh-huh. Ninety nine out of a hundred have fallen in Rhode Island. What are the odds? <laughs> right. What are the odds? Uh, the the other thing. So so there's this timer put on this whole thing. I started to question it because she says that the probe is going to be there in exactly yep. five years, 72 days, nine hours, 17 minutes. Does that at all line up? I'm pretty sure it does. With I the mean, timeline that we see? I, I didn't probe too hard, but I just, as soon as I heard that and you, and you saw Ozymandias like looking at all the watches on his Buffalo spacesuit, like I, I think that all tracks. And then, yeah. because we also don't know, well, we do. He, so he crash lands on the Kent farm. And then he's just been chilling in Lady True's lobby. So there's a cup there's for a year long? or two of slack that we don't need to account for because he's in perfect cryo sleep and he could have been there for right. a month, it's a week, two years. So I think the timelines are you'd have a hard time poking since we have zero tying of what Ozymandias is doing with what's happening here, except for when we see him crash land. I don't know how long it takes to get from Europa to mm-hmm. Earth. That really depends on what position the planets are in and yeah. 
also what kind of magical fucking space drive Lady True's got. So I, they, I'm, they say we can do it with like some 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 tech that we have in like three years if the planets align. Yeah, but uh, probably less time than that. Yeah. So I I I yeah, I I I would did not have a big problem with the timing. I yeah. think it all lines up. I think so. Uh, I think it's important to establish here what she plans to do with these powers if she gets them. Um, she says she wants to disappear the nukes, end starvation, clean the air. Uh, a lot of things that Dr. Manhattan did not do. And 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 they never really questioned why he didn't do them. He simply didn't do them. Uh, and then we move on to not too long ago on Europa. It's the moment that Ozzy has been waiting for. It finally arrives. His daughter sends a ship to pick him up. And he has to fight the game warden in order to board it. And as the ship takes off, he's turned into a statue, uh, the same statue that we see in Lady True's compound a few episodes ago. I thought that was pretty... Most of this stuff is pretty reasonably clever. I mm-hmm. am still left wondering why the horseshoe. Um, I guess that's the thing. Um, did he need the horseshoe to, dr- to, to, to dig through the dirt, to, to, to pry up like that block, block, maybe? Yeah, so there's this this cake that Ozzy has made, that yeah. Ozzy has fashioned in this cell. Is I, it out of poop or dirt? I like to think it's human shit, but I that seems too. too gross. I think it's just the earth that he pulled out yeah. of the hole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this tunnel that he's been digging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly why specifically a horseshoe, um, but I know that he has been, it, it becomes apparent in this scene that he has been, uh, you know, giving the Phillips and Crookshanks instructions to deliver this horseshoe. But not at a particular time. Yeah, because because right. this is all orchestrated. So, like, why was he overcome with maniacal glee when it worked? Like, this is the was this the big risk that, like, they were so f- limited that, that they would get the timing wrong again and just completely forget about it? Yeah, and, and, and the, like, what they needed to do to get it past the game warden, I think was a little tricky for these people because normally they just hand it to him. Mm-hmm. Or at least year one, they just walk up and hand him a horseshoe. Right. Uh, wouldn't have worked. The game warden would have been like, no, we're not giving that to him. Would it? Because like, I also it seems like uh, the, the, that the, I mean, we're here at the scene, but like mm-hmm. the game warden was playing, putting on a good show, but he never was really directly antagonistic towards uh, Ozymandias like he was only doing the things like if, if Ozymandias right, said quit fucking around and give me the horseshoe mm-hmm. he would have gotten given him the horseshoe maybe um, but I don't know maybe Ozymandias said don't ever like listen to me or something I fuck I don't know well I mean Ozzy, Ozzy... knowing that this is all scripted out and wasn't some kind of thing that Ozzy had gotten away from yeah. Ozymandias is I think makes it a little bit less interesting but I don't know it's just because I've only been living with that kind of knowledge for the last 12 hours or so yeah, I mean, I I think I understood Ozzy better. And I mean, I've always known him as a villain of, mm-hmm. of the story, but I think I really understand how deep that runs after seeing this finale episode. And this is sort of part of where it begins. Like, look at the reason he went to Europa. It's because Earth didn't need him, right? Earth didn't take up his plan. Uh, he felt like they were abandoning him. He was unappreciated, yeah. Right, and so he abandoned them. And he goes to this place where he would be supremely appreciated mm-hmm. and 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 uh glorified and adored and those are the things that he wants from people that he wants them to need him you know it might and then these people didn't either it turned yeah. out that the, the people on europa didn't need him mm-hmm. they simply were there to do his every bidding you know he, yeah. he didn't earn anything there and i think that's one of the things that drives him is like proving both to himself and everyone else that he's better 
than anyone else on the planet. I am interested in uh, see, I, I, another thread that I'd love to see pulled in future seasons is what goes on in Europa because they've had a divine benevolent god yeah. and now they've had an evil despotic devil rule over them like what becomes of these 30 odd groups of men and women now that they've had this mythology laid down that they've lived through like what does that society yeah. look like like in the last you know just played forward if uh years in advance like what it, when when people find out about it like when we send probes and astronauts to go make contact like what will that be like there's a lot of fascinating questions uh uh the, the laid out in those in, in that direction which i would love to see them pick up in, in future seasons yeah uh so we're did you so like the other thing i want to point out is like there's a scene where uh, uh ozymandias has got the horseshoe in his mouth while uh -huh. he's about to crawl through the tunnel where he literally looks like a walrus <laughs> uh tying into okay. the i am the walrus at the end i thought that was pretty funny hmm. um but uh, there's also I, I loved Ozzy reprising, and, and again, the, now that this is something that he scripted, it's a little bit less impressive. But he reprised his old trick of catching a bullet with his bare hands, because yeah. he's even even though he's a lot older, he's still peak human performance. You know, until they did that, I had totally forgotten he had that ability. Yeah, that he was the world's oh, okay. fastest man as well as the smartest. Ah, uh, right, right, because right. they never, never even mention it in the show. Yeah. Which, which is that a little confusing to new listener to new viewers uh people new to the watchman experience i think yes but it would be like the 20th least confusing thing they've seen in the last three episodes <laughs> honestly if they okay. had zero like like if they had zero foreknowledge of the watchman if they had not even seen the fucking movie then mm -hmm. then yeah but uh, if they if, like if you've seen the movie i don't oh, yeah. I, I think that you'd remember that oh yeah that's how it that's how it happened before mm -hmm. um what do you think he made the like the the mask make men cruel? I don't think it really worked with this Crookshanks or um, Phillips guy though. It seemed like at the end he was all he wanted is to make uh, you know he just wanted to do a good job and he wanted to like him dying was was a secondary importance to him doing a good job by Ozymandias. I agree with that. I think the fundamental nature of these beings is is different. Yeah. from humans yeah um and and a more accurate line might be masks make humans cruel mm. uh and, and i i think it's an inaccuracy anyway you know but it's an intentional one it's mm -hmm. masks aren't what makes you cruel masks give you the permission to be cruel i think or the permission to difference. be whatever it is that you want to be without any kind of judgment or well consequence it, yes and, Which is, and, that's and, kind of a, a Westworld theme too. Like, oh, your Westworld's who your truest self is. Right, right. But but uh, but then you look at the conversation and the understanding that Angela comes to, right? Yeah. And you understand that even though that reveals something about you, it might not reveal the actual crux of it, mm. right? It might just reveal the symptoms, not the cause. Sure, sure. And and I think to say that for Ozymandias to say that masks make men cruel, I think is a fundamental misunderstanding of humanity. And I would not, I would certainly not put that past Ozymandias. No, I, I think he sure. is well capable of misunderstanding humans. Uh, and I think I agree more with the conclusion that Will has on the whole thing, mm. which is that masks, masks mask the true intentions, mm. your, your true intentions, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, there's so much stuff about masks and it's approached from so many ways. And I think it's what's really brilliant about the show. 
because there's there's a lot of stuff here um, that we'll probably talk about in the final scene with Will and Angela, but more on that later. All right. Uh, so we go to now, I guess, which is like 2019, before Lady True uh, destatuizes Ozzy. She tells Beyond something she already knows, that she's a clone of her mother. Um, and then she unfreezes Ozzy, and he sees that she has built the machine and the process of killing Dr. Manhattan begins. That, I man, the Lady True telling Beyond the truth was a weird moment because it did not, it wasn't a moment. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, I need to tell you something very difficult that's going to be hard for you to hear. I already knew it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Not sure what I'm <laughs> supposed to do with that as an audience member. And they come back to it and say, see, I told you he was going to try and say something. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's almost like it, it, it was, uh, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, lampshading. Like, like, like you're, you, uh, Lindelof is writing so the many scene times, and it's too. like, well, you know, this is what's going to happen because Ozymandias is smart enough to put two and two together, especially with what Lady True told him before yep. that he's going to instantly figure it out. So I better do, but like, I don't know, like just a couple episodes ago, we saw Bien being scared that she was alone and had like, and she was the, the conversation she had. All the conversations she had that's been just a few days or weeks in Showtime didn't imply to me that she knew exactly what was going on. So it was weird. I thought that was not hmm. uh, that that didn't seem like it naturally followed. But, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't have any experience with uh, clone parents and them being drip fed their genetic memory and what that looks <laughs> like in a character. So maybe it's exactly what it looks like. Uh, I imagine that that was the conclusion of her dissertation is that she's a clone of her mother or some other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Publishable for sure. Yeah. Uh, So then Lady True's team shows up in downtown Tulsa to prep the destruction of Dr. Manhattan. Uh, She picks up her papers at the newsstand and Ozzy is sort of half recognized by this newsstand guy. He thinks, oh, you look a lot like him. Um, And he tries to sort of defend himself from the guy's theories on where Ozzy's been for the past seven years then he sees this machine and proclaims the end to be very fucking nigh. Uh, this newspaper man, such a central character, framing yep. device in the original, and such a not a thing in this one. Like even mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, being coming and picking up all the newspapers, like it's like, oh, put that in the time capsule with the r- others. What? Why? 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 Why did we have this? This. It's 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 a weird almost it feels like a vestical part of another different season that they could a direction they could have gone to where maybe Lady hmm. La- Lady True was more of a focus and we we were more invested in what she was doing. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't doesn't seem to mean much of anything. Yeah, uh, there is a moment where can I get cynical and uh, sarcastic for a second? Sure. He, he says, "Oh, it's a nice hat you got. Uh huh. It's clearly a halo." Oh, oh my god what does it mean let's theorize about it oh, for the next the, three the, the weeks Christ, the christ figure martyr Jesus. stuff that goes yeah. on with lady bien here is pretty i mean she assumes a christ pose and instantly gets a stigmata uh-huh. like it's not buried even it's yeah no. yeah and I, I i don't even want to talk about it yeah I, I agreed uh, there is this line from Ozymandias. Do you know what this is from? It's he says Israel is desolate, her seat is no more. Yeah, Palestine my my co-writer of of those religious books I wrote on uh, on on Game of Thrones texted me and said because I in the five minutes we have between I recognize that as a quote I thought it was from the Bible and I was doing some research I, I, and I was doing that quote Bible and I couldn't find anything. This is actually from a stone inscription that a pharaoh 
carved uh, and it was and it was the first non like Jewish reference of the nation of Israel. It was from like 1300 BCE, hmm. and I got a piece of feedback from Anthony uh, in in the. In, in in the feedback section where he goes into it and talks about this and his theory for Europa being anti Garden of Eden, um, but uh, okay. yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah, but it's 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 Pharaoh bragging that he kicked Israel's ass and and, and among other okay. nations in that that like he he's bragging about how he he brought them all to to an end. So I guess huh. he this was like his. This is Lady True doing that to him. Yeah, like this is this is another because the pharaoh was a god in Egypt, so like this is another person trying to ascend the godhood and like what this might be. This might be the end of everything. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff happening, sort of uh, intercut here, um, but I'm just gonna try and take it as it comes. Uh, there's a bunch of high-ranking cyclops mem- cyclops members who show up uh, at the Seven K warehouse to witness the transfer of Doctor Manhattan's powers to Senator Keen. Some of the securities pulled off the event to deal with Angela shooting up 7K at her house. Uh, and then LG shows up, Looking Glass shows up, disguised as a 7K guy. Uh, Dr. Manhattan's teleported into a cage. And Keen gives this self-aggrandizing speech where he reveals the panties he's wearing uh, about how the 7K got to this point uh, of their plan. And then Angela shows up, tries to convince him that this plan isn't going to work anyway. And she's unsuccessful. And the... And then we'll we'll save everything else for the next chunk. Did you get what I was saying in the instant take about like I thought that this um, Keen was a lot of like kind of like expo- expository stuff that felt like it was rep- it went on for some time and it's pretty repetitive. It is, but it actually informed. Uh, it, it clued me in on something that I hadn't yet picked up, and I think we were meant to pick this up last episode, and huh. I didn't. Uh huh. But how Angela got out of the White Knight situation. Because he, Mike is the guy that was going to kill her on that, in that moment. And reflexively, Dr. Manhattan transported him. He tra- so he didn't, like, as I thought, he just so burst, he, he just exploded him. But he, he, he teleported him. And that's what tipped off the 7K to his presence. And that's right. how they know where he is and who he is. And that's why Judd. All of that ties it together. And I did not pick that up the first few. Yeah. And they made it pretty clear that. Judd befriended Angela because of the White Knight massacre and that they were one of the few survivors. Yeah. And then, because that was the question, is like, yeah, why is this super committed racist like taking a personal interest in this, mm-hmm. you know, black non nuclear family? It seems bizarre. But now it's like, man, when uh, I, like, I rewatched a little bit of the, the first episode with like, you know, Judd sitting through the black Oklahoma and like some of the eyes he was making to his wife because Angela and her husband didn't show up. It's like a lot more sinister. Mm-hmm. The fact that this person would take these, the, the, this, this family in and show them love and loyalty just as a way to squeeze them like a grape later on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like like Judd and it was his wife Jane or Ju- Jane Jane. Uh, really, really terrible people. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Even with the clan robes in their closet, uh, still seem pretty terrible. And it's just like I mean, there's like uh, you know, Keen is getting wound up and he's talking about how Ozzy unleashed his greatest monster, Robert Redford, who took our guns, made us mm-hmm. apologize over and over for the imagined misdeeds of our ancestors and. Imagined. I'm just like, man, how can you be Imagined. so fucking obtuse? And I, and like stuff in like in the headlines today is like I was reading yesterday how the um, uh, the president of Turkey is at the um, er- Erdogan. 
is pissed because uh, United States uh, passed a resolution um, uh, acknowledging the Armenian genocide. Yeah. And he countered that he's that Turkey is going to recognize the genocide of the American Indians. And I'm like, when I read that headline, I'm like, does he really think that the majority of Americans deny that we committed? Gen- I mean, I, I guess that that's actually technically the U.S.'s official position. Right. That, that these were the all voluntary relocation projects and certain right. trails were, war- were walked and some tears were shed. But, sh- but it was all... But it's clear, like, yeah. we came to this whole fucking continent and it had a whole fucking group of people that are, like, are vanishingly rare now. And yeah. and it was warfare and disease and sterilization and forced re-education and culture. Just, like, yeah, America committed genocide. Yeah, well, yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, like, it's, it's people acknowledge that, but it's power structures don't. And I think that's hmm. the the distinction. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, the the Turkey you should absolutely recognize the American genocide against the Native Americans. Like I can't do yeah. anything but good. Sure. The rest of the world, do it. Do yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, the, the other thing that I, I think I didn't fully understand the first time through is what exactly was happening to Doctor Manhattan inside this cage. the The way that they're able to sort of contain him is they sort of unstick him from time they have him jumping around to different times and he's yeah, not like quite that synthetic, sure where he is synthetic lithium is like his kryptonite uh, yeah i'm not gonna try to even i mean it's superhero logic it, it tracks goes, but, yeah some yeah right um but yeah the the idea that his mind is just sort of jumping around and he can't quite grasp grasp onto the moment in order to do anything which uh-huh. there's the fair question of could he do anything anyway? Yeah. If, if he was never able to do anything. And we talked right. about that ad nauseum last episode. But it was nice to at least understand what this device was intended to do. Other than just like magically contain him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, well, I mean, the, the internet is losing its shit. Rightfully so over uh, Joe Keen's panties, which are are truly excellent like i did not see that coming that he would be wearing, wearing the doctor manhattan, the doctor manhattan suit yeah well, yeah but in and why is like you know it's just overkill because it's waving it's, his dick around in people's faces is just overkill yeah but why those line. pants like it's like almost like they wanted yeah. it was some kind of public like a publicity coup that, like look at joe king he's literally doctor manhattan yeah like what do you have put like what do you have put in oh shit know. he probably would have put the symbol because it's a fucking cyclops it's yeah. just like the eye is essentially a, a yeah, fucked up version of Dr. Manhattan symbol anyway. So like, yeah, he probably would have. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, America then, has a new God and guess what? He's racist. That's what the headline would say. So Keen flips the switch and everyone, what happens, what he thinks happened is going to happen. Doesn't happen. Everyone's teleported downtown by lady true and Senator Keen has been thoroughly liquidated uh, Lady True reads a letter from Will to the heads of Cyclops and then kills them all. Dr. Manhattan uses the puddle of Joe Keen's remains to teleport Ozzy, Lori, and Looking Glass to Karnak, which pisses off uh, Lady True because she really wanted her daddy to see how great she was. But she proceeds with the plan anyway. Does not need an audience. Uh, here's where I think things start to get interesting because the plan lady true's plan all along is revealed in mm-hmm. this scene she says that the only way for dr manhattan to not know what she was up to was to use the 7k and their plan as a smoke screen Just or like a mask, a mask. Mm-hmm. right which is interesting to me in light of our our 
with its social context because i think a lot of the times look they're very much racism is a real thing they're very much real racists out there who hate just because they hate mm -hmm. um but racism is also used as a tool for manipulation certainly in a lot of cases and i think it is here mm -hmm. um maybe maybe for a good end but as we know like ozymandias paid had asked humanity to pay a great price for his end right and I, ultimately, I don't like that plan. I don't. I don't think it's it's just to do what Ozzy did and killing three million people to try and bring about some perceived uh, world in which everything is peaceful. And Liddy True is trying to do the exact same thing here. She is yeah. the villain of this story, mm -hmm. uh, just the way that Ozzy was the first Watchman. Right. And she is using those tools to manipulate. And I think like every time you hear someone say oh, brown people are taking our jobs, or mm -hmm. black people are violent criminals, or mm -hmm. even, honestly, like, old white men are the problems of all society, right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. all of those things are ways to pull on the levers of power to mm -hmm. get you to do what people want you to do. Yes. And I'm not saying that's always the case, because some people are just straight-up racist. Yeah, especially, you know, I think things have gotten out of control, especially in, in a lot of the Western world, is that, like, there was this kind of ironic pandering to way, the racist that's been going on for, for, for a long time. Like, you know, uh, hmm. uh well, what do you mean? Ironic pandering? Um, like was Ronald Reagan a racist? No, but he definitely played footsies with racists by publicly disavowing. And that was the game okay. that was played for a long, long time. Yeah. And like Bill Clinton did the same hey, every thing. Every time you're meeting with David with Duke. This, with this, and the, the, yeah. you know, when, when, uh, you know, Bill Clinton throws a, a rapper who's hardly anyone ever heard about and makes a big deal about that and wants to talk about, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the do welfare report reform. And like, there, there's like, you know, there's, there's these, signals i don't think you know bill clinton obviously is racist but he was definitely manipulating racist people and now right. it's like you got people that it's like the third generation and they like are true believers mm -hmm. um but then yeah i still think there's a lot of people in congress that like say stuff just because you know they're politicians they lie and they um, know that this will cause a culture war which is essentially what joe keen is trying to do yes um and lady true is aiding and abetting him right right but Joe Keen also was a rate was was an actual yes. racist. I think he's he, a true he's a true believer. So he tried was. to play Judd, that line Judd with Wade well. of like, ah, oh, you know these racist rednecks. I'm just using them. But you are one of them, dude. He is one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lady True, on the other hand, I think is where the the strings are really being pulled. Right, those levers are being used. Sure, because she's you know she's she's essentially allowing the seven K campaign of terror and racism to cloak her true intentions, which you know could yeah. be good. I mean, sure, I'm sure she had good intentions, but yeah. Uh, I just thought that was a an interesting thing that the show was also trying to say. Um, uh, what do you think? Here's a loose end. When Ozzy Man or when Doctor Manhattan told Angela, "Don't touch the light." What was he trying to? Because I was looking as when I was watching this again, like where, what light is he talking about? He needs her to know that for season two. Ah, I mean, I, mean, I really, I, I don't know. I can't right, because the swimming question. pool that all paid off. All that stuff yeah. is like, but like the you know, don't whatever you don't touch the light, Angela. It's kind of like uh, you know, don't look at the box, Marion from Indiana Jones. Except that Jones, immediately but, pays off, right? Yeah, it's paying off as it's happening, right? But this, it's like, well, I mean, there's certainly lots of light, but she never got out of the blast range. She got, you know, 
thrown back just like in her time in Vietnam by the blast of the Dr. Manhattan being stripped of his power. It's like, so I, I wasn't sure what the, they meant by that. Yeah, I'm not either. So then we cut over to Ozzy and Karnak hatching a plan to stop uh, Lady True while Looking Glass has his mind progressively blown by the reveals of Ozzy and Lori's conversations. Uh, the plan apparently is going to be to rain down frozen squids on Tulsa, destroying uh, Lady True's machine in the process. Do you want to talk about this or keep going? Because um, then the next scene is Dr. Manhattan being killed, which I feel like is something we're going to want to talk about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had some questions like uh, in the instant take. I said that I was going to go pay special attention to what Dr. Manhattan was babbling in the cage. And it looked like a lot of that stuff was just re- essentially quotes from the comic or the series. There was nothing that was that was new. It was just out of all out of context and from multiple different times, sometimes in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. But it didn't it didn't hint of like things that I thought that it might be. And then like I couldn't find anything about like why the squid had to be exactly 22 degrees um yeah it's probably just a calculation that he knows will will cause the most damage yeah so it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like there i mean was... there's a lot of stuff around this right like he susses out lady true's exact plan immediately and a lot of that stuff is just based on like we can infer okay well he knows a lot about dr manhattan he's probably thought about dr manhattan and how to like contain him or transfer his powers like he knows that she's using a quantum uh quantum uh what fuck what was the term uh yeah what the quantum device she was using to transfer he knows the device she's using yes quantum centrifuge Uh uh-huh just without having been told when she showed up in 2008 when did dr manhattan disappear or when did dr manhattan become a human was this happening around the same time that it was 10 years ago Okay. So, 2008. so 2008 was 11 yeah. years ago. 2008, so that, 2009. So so he had a he had between a year or two. Like, I, I, how much correspondence did Lady True have with with Ozymandias? Because when he went disappearing, she took over all of his assets. Mm-hmm. Was there some kind of like, you know, how aware was he of like what she planned to do in the loose outline? Like you said, he'd spend years thinking about how he could, if he wanted to you know, disable Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. And, and surely, like, I, it seems to me that he self-aware enough to know that even he would not like handle the power of dr manhattan right like he, he said something no, about no. like you, you can't like anyone who seeks to attain the power of god should be denied at all costs and i don't think he would put himself above that or maybe huh I don't that's know. an interesting question because there's a lot of the commentary about how the fact that like a lot of this him trying to shut down lady true was jealousy that she yeah. surpassed him mm-hmm um, and could do something he couldn't, which I find completely plausible too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's all interesting. I don't quite know the answers. Uh, but then Doctor Manhattan is killed as Angela watches, and this is a this is the moment you know he's where he says, "Hey, I'm in all of the moments that we spent together." Uh, it's it's a pretty powerful moment for that and, character. And then like when he's drained of his last power and he's just left it the, as the human cow and he tells her he loves her and then he's gone. And yeah. I, I did think it was um, really powerful how she's blown back in almost the exact same way she was as a child in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Now she's lost another person very important to her. Um, so I didn't... That's, it was a real moment. View, I didn't view that moment where he turns into the cow that we know uh-huh. uh, or presents as cow as opposed to Dr. Manhattan to be like all the power was drained out of him hmm. because the power is what's making him look like Cal in the first place. Yeah. Cause he's not in an actual body right now. Isn't he? No, that, that corpse, he turns himself into Cal 
and that corpse is still there on the slab. So he has created this body whole cloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's he would when he's drained, he, he would no longer look like that. He wouldn't have the blue effect and the light. That's what I'm saying. Is like he's just left with the the mortal shell itself. I don't I mean, know. You, you could read it that was, way, but because there's like you know when Jesus was dying on the cross or the stake or whatever, there's this part where like um I, I don't know again my my theology is slightly askew so if this isn't like standard christian <laughs> boilerplate feel free to, to correct me i find it fascinating but uh, there's this line about how like god withdrew his his holy spirit or his power from jesus in that last moment and and uh, i always understood it's like if if god hadn't done that then jesus might like be up on there forever because he, he that is the god and the man god had to withdraw that to allow the man to die and mm-hmm. jesus you know cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me at that moment i i, I took it as kind of like that that like all the godhood had been withdrawn from the man and now he's left with just a mortal shell um, and since he changed it, it you probably would have gone back yeah. to John Osterman, but since he had changed it, it now reflected his cow guy. I, I thought it was like that. It's like now you've got the, the divine completely withdrawn from the human and you're left with just a human, which loves his wife. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess I was looking at it as a moment that Dr. Manhattan was giving her, um, hmm. not, not that everything was being taken from him and that was all he had left, hmm. but that he wanted her to know that, you know, those 10 years they spent together that she was very uh, anxious about to begin with Mm -hmm. because she knew that they were going to end just as much as he did, that that had meant something to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why he gives her this representation of Cal at the very end. It could be. But either one of those is possible. Uh, Then Ozzy enacts the plan uh, to destroy Lady True's machine and it works and it kills her in the process and everyone who the heroes care about is saved by a phone call from Lori telling them to take cover, uh, including beyond who also makes it out alive. I know we resolved not to talk about lady true's Christ, uh, figurement, but, oh boy. uh, one last one. Okay. We, we have a father sacrificing his child for the greater good of humanity here. As she's a for, as she's assuming a Christ pose and getting stigmata. I, I, I mean, the, the cross on the wall in uh-huh. the church falls down right as she's crushed by this machine too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird so, because yeah. like they're, they're mixing her metaphor because like is, are they equal and opposite Christ figures, Dr. Manhattan, Lady True? Because they both have a lot of that, that imagery going and there's a lot of martyred martyrdom. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, you know, do my due uh, literary analysis diligence and point those last few things out. I I don't know why. Okay. Lori calls the phone booth. She clearly knows where Angela is standing. World's most useless phone call ever. Like, like, like <laughs> you, you know you're going to have a few seconds at the shout a warning, and your best thing is, they're coming. It's from the sky. <laughs> they're coming. Right after she's had this 7K attack yeah, on her uh-huh. this very same night, uh-huh. she's probably looking around going, the more 7K here, I thought we dealt with them. Yeah, like, why can't you say Ozymandias is calling down an airstrike in your position? You yeah. need to run, like, get get within a block or two away. I don't know. Hard, hard squid rain yeah. coming in. <laughs> Uh, and also, why does she need to run? Why does she need to run? Beyond makes it through this no problem just staying in that booth. I don't know. Lori knows she's in the booth because she called the fucking booth. Yeah, I'm not sure why she ran to the thing because I don't... Did she, So did she... When she ran to the theater, did she know her grandfather was going to be there with her kids? I don't, I don't think, think she think did. So, so no. she just took off running for shelter and that was the first one. Yeah, I don't know. There's a little bit... That's a little bit writerly, I think, but... yeah. 
honestly the, the this whole um you know squid from the sky whole is is i that that's that i wasn't the greatest because I, I i don't think that the like i believe that a, a a squid fall frozen squid fall can absolutely destroy a complicated sci-fi machine yes it's not gonna punch a hole and if it's punching hole through people's fucking palms it's definitely killing like every person we didn't see yeah. that we saw red scare bunch of cot like some of them were disabled but most people were able to get to a car they, they were dancing between the raindrops I, I guess I, I thought that to me, uh, th- they should have been a little bit more consistent yes. with. And then honestly, uh, the punching a hole through Lady True's hand that that was the, where it, like if they had left that out, I don't think I have any problems with. I it. mean, there are a lot of inconsistencies. Like when they point that magnet at people to grab their guns, mm-hmm. th- there's a dude in a wheelchair there and he doesn't move. <laughs> That's true. He doesn't fucking move an inch. Yeah, there's probably those nails holding solid. those pews in the place, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, some inconsistencies, but ultimately, who cares? I. I read that this entire thing was shot indoors hmm. and that th- when you look at the dailies and the footage, it's all just green screen. It's green screen everywhere. Wow. And this is all effects work done after the fact. Okay. Which wow. Is, it makes it more impressive to me. Sure. Because I felt very much like we were in downtown Tulsa. Yeah. I thought they, wherever that s- small town in Georgia, or Greenwood, I thought they set yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've been saying Tulsa. I meant Greenwood. I think Greenwood's just like a, a, section a neighborhood of, of Tulsa. Yeah. I bet it's not the downtown section. Probably not. It's the Black yeah. Wall Street section. It's for sure. Uh, so then, yeah, like you said, Angela flees into the theater where she finds Will watching her children sleep. That, I, that sounds creepier than I meant it to. Uh, they talk about Dr. Manhattan's death, his desire to see her heal, and how those two things are connected. And Angela doesn't understand yet, but she will. And then she invites Will to stay at her house for a couple nights, and he accepts yeah um this is a great scene Th- this is the kind of work the lindelof does that i really strongly appreciate yeah and i think he like a lot of stuff he said in his preseason reading about like a ta-nehisi coates um not just a case for reparations but he also wrote this book called between the world and me which is ta-nehisi explaining to his children kind of like how he grew up in baltimore and a lot of stories he told in life were like deleted scene cut extras from like uh the kid season of the wire um and he talked uh, about his parents and how strict and kind of like brutal they were the discipline of him because and he's like i can remember like my parents like you know slapping me and hitting me and screaming at me um and i thought they were angry but when i see it from like eyes of an adult like a lot of times when the parents they were like when they were worked up they were also like tears streaming he's like Mm -hmm. i can tell they're terrified because it's like if i didn't learn the lessons they were trying to teach me i could go out and get shot i could go run with the wrong people i could get shot by a policeman i could get thrown in the criminal justice system and it was like just just terror of like if if our if our black child gets out there like the world can just eat him up and it's more of just like you know don't you know uh, it, it it goes beyond the like uh like like a parent may, maybe people can sympathize with like a kid running into traffic and not paying attention and like how scary that is and with with a yeah. black parent it's like there are so many fucking hidden dangers all that are not obvious like getting ran over yeah. you know like don't be too familiar don't get too close to this type don't go to this neighborhood and don't and if you fuck up you're gonna die 
Yeah. It's it's uh, pretty powerful stuff. And, and I and, bet it took him the bulk of his life to even realize that that was the case, right? Sure. Because his parents were wearing this mask of anger. Right. And him trying to translate that between the different generations is great. But it's like a lot yeah. of what Will was saying here about, you know, you put on the hood and you think it's this anger, but it's also this fear and this hurt and the not wanting to be hurt anymore. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really powerful. Um, but it ultimately, you have to take that off because wounds need air to heal. Mm-hmm. Um you can't make an omelet without breaking a few. That's the really that's the really fascinating season two type question is because I still don't I don't understand the ultimate goal of what Doctor Manhattan was trying to do, which we can debate in the fullness of time. But that's okay. that that's key. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Yeah. So let's talk what about what omelet was he trying to make? This last scene and that'll kind of inform this discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're shown the carnage in downtown Tulsa as Angela takes her kids to the bakery where Topher discovers she's Sister Knight. Uh, then she takes him home, tucks him into bed. Uh, before going to bed, Will says he's sorry Dr. Manhattan's gone, but he could have done more, considering what he could do. Uh, as Angela cleans the egg mess, she spots an intact one and realizes that it could contain Dr. Manhattan's powers. She takes it out to the pool, she eats it, and she begins to take a step onto the water, and we cut to black. Okay. Let's talk about the eggs, I guess. Um, before that, I just want to talk about, like, I love the, you know, the, oh, what a beautiful morning over the destruction of Tulsa and how. Mm-hmm. So someone pointed out that, like, Lady True's device with its eight beams of, like, destructive energy mirrored the squid with its eight tentacles. And its wreckage okay. over the town and all the bodies laying was very reminiscent of what happened in New Jersey um, the night of the, the squid attack. And I, I liked the... I like the the parallelism of of how Watchmen 2019 uh, kind of kind of did aped a lot of the style and tone of Watchmen uh, mm-hmm. 1985, and I thought that was that was really good. Um, and like you know, her eldest child seeing her costume. Did you get that? Because I, I talked about that on Instant Take. How I thought that was like a moment that felt like a moment that you could maybe hang another series on. You know, like what Sister Knight. Yeah, Sister Knight's kid, like, what would he do with the knowledge that his mom was this, oh. you know, his parents were, were killed right, by he's, vigilantes, he's his mom, will. became his stepmom, or his, his adopted mom became a vigilante, crime fighter. Yeah, he's Will's kid. Um, he's got a lot of that same kind of, like, anger and fear, and, like, mm-hmm. him and Angela had the whole conversation about, you know, we know the world's not sunshine and rainbows, we know that the world's, you know, black and white. It, it I, felt it felt important the the looks yeah. that were going on. I there. like to think it would work out better than it did for Will's um, family because Angela has an awareness that Will didn't have in the moment. Um, mm. You know, given to her by Will's hundred years of life experience uh, and his eventual understanding, he came to. So you wonder, I'd like though. to think Tover, Tover would be better off than Will's kid, who looked at his dad doing these yeah. things and tried to emulate him, and then was. Smackdown is Lori Blake better than her mom, the original Silk, Silk Spectre, or is she just uh, different? That's a real good question. At the end of this, I'm I have questions about Lori. Yeah. Uh, I still think she has this attitude that the comedian has, and we uh-huh. can maybe talk about that when she goes to arrest Ozzy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But that's a very better thing off? to do. The arrest because that's what I think. That's like if if you're talking about like will uh, her son be better off than her? It's like will he be better off or will he just be different? Yeah. Um, that's a good question yeah but uh don't know that i have the answer to yeah no Lori, it's a it's she's a she's an interesting character too because like she was very comedian-ish this uh uh, entire season but like Mm -hmm. arresting ozymandias 
and by implication the president uh that's a not that's a that's a, that's not a comedian move right the comedian i don't know because like someone for committing a war crime right so, so the comedian looked at the world as a big joke mm -hmm. and he took that in a direction he took that and he he ran with it in a particular direction. But he was shook by Ozymandias' plan. He discovered that early uh -huh. and was like, for the first time, like I, I don't even get the joke. I don't understand. Right. This is, like, like uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, an old comedian that doesn't understand why his racist, sexist shit isn't slaying anymore. Like, but I don't. Uh -huh. He 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 didn't occur to him to like blow the whistle, you know right i guess hmm. yeah what was he gonna do with that information i mean he went he, to molek simply, and like yeah. cried about it and then was just sitting in his apartment and got his ass kicked by his man thrown that fuck out of a window he was like, just sitting around yeah he uh, wasn't wasn't doing anything and i know he had the contacts that he could have if he wanted to yeah now i look at Lori's um resemblance to the comedian you know she's kind of been forced into the role of the comedian adopted on his own which is the essentially a government goon um you know, hunting and killing their targets. But at the end of this, she's still doing that. And so I sort of view her perspective on what she's doing and maybe the direction she's taking that has changed, but maybe not her attitude on the entirety of the thing. You know, the whole thing's still just a big joke to her, but mm -hmm. she's she's arresting Ozymandias, which in my mind says she's going to take this in a very different direction than the comedian. It's not going to be a self-serving, but it is still a joke. Well, because the joke is, as we find out in the PD files, probably this is going to go nowhere. The I mean, I doubt Robert Redford is going to be arrested. The, the idea that one agent and one mask are going to come yeah. and say that this insane plot has actually been a government conspiracy and it's going to go up to the highest level and we're going and to it take hasn't this person been. down. I mean, has it? Well, I mean, okay, Senator Keene, yeah, but he was working as a rogue faction. But of the every senator, I don't think Robert if, Redford was in on anything. No, he's not in on. But he know he knew he knows that the squids are not like uh, a real thing. It's a, they're they're a hoax perpetrated by Ozymandias. Like it's like the cover up is certainly a government conspiracy. But but I feel like the cover up only really matters if they're also the perpetrators. Like covering up someone else's deeds, I don't know for the greater good. I mean, it's a it's like is it a crime? Is it something that? Yes, the, the, you can actually be held accountable for. I, I what? Well, that's the thing. That's, I guess the question so is, what joke. right? Do... There's the joke. Does Robert Redford bear any responsibility for suppressing the fact that Ozymandias killed three million people, right, in a misguided attempt to save the world for the last thirty years? Mm -hmm. I think there'd be plenty of people to take that 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 proposition for uh, for an argument and be pretty pissed off about it. Oh yeah, and there'd be a lot of people who would defend it and say that look at the peace we have, you know, mm -hmm. which it's a relative one. But it'll be interesting because I think that like the the real joke is that the uh, Robert Redford administration is probably going to be like this is all crazy. This is you know Ozymandias' yeah. confession is worthless because he's just a has been that wants to that has an inflated sense of his own self importance and you know Lori Blake was a mask and she's only doing this to you know and like look at Looking Glass he's fucking crazy like we've got it's, it's hard to play off the squid though. The squid? Well, That's I mean, tough thing to play off. When Ozymandias' confession includes, I sent the squid and I've been sending oh, squids Oh, and also, for 30 here's years. my facility in the North Pole that, right. or the South Pole that has a big squid tank. It sort of lends a bit of credence to the yeah, other you're claims right. there's, that he's There's tape. evidence. And the tape that he made, the big DVD exactly, that explains yeah. his plot and what he, yeah. Which looking class is clearly going to turn over. But that's 
that that so the 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 question is you know whether the uh, Redford administration would want to cover it up because I think they absolutely could. Mm-hmm. Um, will they? I don't know. See if they we get a season two. Yeah. Um, so we haven't really talked about that scene, and we haven't talked about the egg on the pool. Uh, but I guess let's recap that scene real quick. Ozzy's plans for peace have basically worked here. Um, th- throughout the entire series, he killed Lady True. Mm-hmm. Uh. And now he is going to go right back to his same ways. But uh, Lori and LG decide they're bringing him in. Yeah, people can change. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the egg on the pool. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked a little bit about it up front. Do you care what the answer is? Yes or no? Does she have Dr. Manhattan's powers? I mean, or is it I've more got interesting my personal, to talk around? Like, what do you mean by care? Uh do I think it's do I need do, do, there's there's there has to be an answer? No. Well, it's I don't like think Inception. There has to be an um how much of what the answer is is the point and how much of you're supposed to ask the question is the point, I guess. I guess it's probably the latter, but like to me there's clear evidence that well, I don't know if it's clear evidence. So here's the evidence. Dr. Manhattan said you got to break you got to break a few eggs and make an omelet. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, what is the omelet he's making? Like, if the omelet is, we need to make a world where people don't think there's a superhuman that can solve all their problems and pray to, and that they have to fix their own goddamn problems, or there's a psychic squid, then he already made it, and Angela being a god would actually be a flaw in that plan. Mm-hmm. If his plan is, I'm a shitty god, but someone could be a better one, they could actually more confidently use their powers for good, and I think Angela, as my wife, is that person, then that so so i guess i guess the evidence is support but, but there, there's evidence that you could uh, my my personal feeling is that yes that egg was special and that he didn't intend angela to eat it because he I wanted so. her to have the powers of manhattan and and the clearest evidence to me is when he tells her that you need to see me on the pool yeah to understand it you watch the yeah. eggs yeah because you need to have a, a test by which to measure this right but um, if if someone takes it over and decides that that's not the case and angela goes crashing into the, the, the pool um i'm completely fine with that too because yeah. I, I guess i don't have any personal stake on which which of those is right or wrong i my, my personal belief is that yeah but I, I don't know if it's yeah, and then the more interesting question is, what does Angela do if she does have powers? Um, right. And that's interesting to me because when you look at Dr. Manhattan and his sort of relationship with time mm-hmm. and and causality, right, and whether or not he has free will, mm-hmm. can he make a decision? Has he made all decisions he'll ever make before he makes them? I think that's interesting because they're different people. Mm-hmm. And so the choices that they would make, if they're able to make choices, are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when Angela gets these powers, let's say, you know, the, the choices that Dr. Manhattan made in the future were all made the moment he became Dr. Manhattan and that he had no power to change them, but they were influenced by who he was, right? He doesn't go to Europa and try and create Phillips and Crookshanks without who John Osterman was in his life, influencing that. Right. Mm -hmm. So Angela would be the same. And I think Angela would try to carry out, um, all of the goals that she, I think, now has. Mm-hmm. She understands her life better. She understands her place within society better. Um, and with the powers of God, she's going to make decisions that, well, her actions will support that, right? Because they have to. 
So there's like this subreddit called the monkey's paw. And what they do is people take turns like posting what they would use with the monkey paws power. And then okay. the comments are all the fatal flaw of that wish and how it would go horribly awry. That's uh -huh. what it used to be. It's kind of gotten shitty. Like all subreddits of late people don't understand. They're not smart enough to understand the original point and to play the game. So you get a whole <laughs> bunch of stupid shit, but great. Like to me, that is Dr. Manhattan. Like he went into Vietnam with the best, you know doing what he thought was right what people wanted yeah. of him stopping a war yeah. like if angela does that and i was trying to think of like what like if lady true like uh removed all the world's pollution cleaned all the world's power uh, waters and whatever else she was going to do like or removed all the world's nuclear armaments mm -hmm. is that a great is that a good you know uh, it's a good but i don't know that it solves the problem i think that's treating symptoms not causes right because like before nuclear weapons we had back-to-back -back world wars that killed a uh -huh. hundred billion people each yeah. So like and before that, we've had a million wars all the way back to the beginning of humanity. yeah, and we've had we've had smaller scale, less destructive wars mm -hmm. as a result of nuclear weapons. So if you remove nuclear weapons, do we go back to having like con giant continental wars on Europe every twenty, thirty years? And then but, or does that bring about a peace? No. Yeah, that, that simply takes away a tool that people have for conflict. But, the, but there's the conflict like, still exists. Yeah, like removing all pollution from the air, or like putting carbon back where it was 300 years ago. Like that, it's hard to see how that would go bad in a monkey's paw. But like the temptation of like you know what what would Angela what would Angela do mm -hmm. you know in in the world like you know if she removed all racist people from the world you know uh, would 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 that be good? Do we need that struggle of ignorance and hate versus enlightenment and compassion? Um, also, it's like that that doesn't mean only white people would be disappeared in the world. There's a shit ton of non-white non racist people in the world. Oh, yeah. And it depends on where you live and, you know, the context of your racism. I, I just it's like that's like the power of Dr. Manhattan, the people people use it. It's just like there's so many ways it can go wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, like Dr. Manhattan creates life on Europa and then like, oh, fuck, this is what I want to do. I guess I'm just going to leave. Yeah. Like that's fucked up. Uh it would be interesting to see what would what what Angela would do with the power of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, I agree. Anything else? Should we get to I, the PDPD stuff? You want to talk PD because this is a pretty short short entry. It is. There's one entry. It's a memo about Dale PD mm -hmm. uh from Deputy Director Farragut. Which I think is the guy we the 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 kind of angry guy we met earlier that was dismissive of PD and at that the briefing I think that was the same guy. Okay, could be. Um, but we find out that PD's been fired and his files are going to be deleted uh, because he has gone on. Essentially, he has he has abused his power as the the documentarian and historian that he is mm -hmm. to sort of weave his own narratives into these what should be very factual, very dry documents. And also there's a hint that like he's told to stand down with regard to the events that went on in Tulsa as far as the disappearance of Blake and Dr. Manhattan. Uh -huh. And he's like, fuck no, I'm going to continue this investigation. So, yeah. And we've seen this contentious relationship in these PD files mm -hmm. throughout their, yeah. their existence. He seemed right? like a real, like even regardless of how you feel about the overall, he seemed like a real pickle to work with. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and there are some details in here which lead us to believe as as kind of everyone thought that he might be lube man uh there's apparently some of his belongings which are now open for the office to yeah to take. Just, just come just come yeah, take grab his all albums, this shit take take the shit off his desk uh, -huh. uh anything you want uh one of those things is canola oil or something some kind of oil like yeah, canola oil a jug which, of lube like substance i, I imagine it's got to be slipperier 
than canola oil. All right. To slide down that sewer. What's Director uh, Farragut know canola oil from his hole, from yeah. a hole in the ground? Farragut knows oils. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, the other interesting thing about this is if you click the words canola oil mm-hmm. in that document, it takes you to an image, which is a flyer asking, have you seen this man? And it shows a picture of both front and back. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a headshot of Lube Man, but also him dousing himself in the with both the liquids with both bottles yeah yes he's running away from angela uh and and it gives a number for a tulsa police department but as best i can tell that's not a tulsa area code hmm i didn't even because i saw it was like uh i i saw because like i called two numbers on this series and they both were just disconnected numbers it wasn't well this like, is not a full number like the corners ripped right, off got, so, you so can't when see i saw it. it was ripped i didn't even dig yeah. deeper to see if it's a tulsa number it's weird that the Tulsa Police Department would not have a yeah. Tulsa area code. Yeah. But, Lube yeah. Man, or the Fog I'm, Dancer, as we learned he probably should be called last episode. Right. I'm super disappointed by this. Are you? Yes. I think putting Lube Man into this series, without knowing if you're going to get a season two, without knowing if you ever even want to do a season two, pretty sure you only want to do a season one and you only have ideas for it, is dissatisfying. Because I don't... Watching this in the future, who's going to go digging around for PDPedia files? If I'm coming to this series a year from now and I watch the thing and I go, the fuck is Lube Man? And I get to the end and I go, what the fuck was Lube Man about? Where do I go from there? I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's any mysteries like this in the first Watchmen that he's trying to play homage to. It's, it's, while you were talking, I was reminded of like because people were like a lot of hand wringing um, amongst Watchmen fans about like oh if you weren't a fan of the original material you'd be so lost right now and someone pointed out it's like the original Watchmen was like that the original Watchmen is essentially a sequel to a Minuteman series that never existed and we found out about the Minuteman and had their in, their impact on the plot as we went along and this you know if you you didn't know anything about the Watchmen well the Watchmen are the old or the crime busters or the, the 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 old Minutemen, and now you got a new generation. And I wonder if there there might be. I, I wasn't thinking. I, I hadn't given this much thought, but I wonder if there is like a, a weird thing or two in the original that this is kind of like a homage to, or something that might like it's another hook for season two. You know, like something's for someone to explore. I agree. Sure. And the other thing is like. If the PDPedia files are a vital part of the experience, much like the original out of or in universe clippings from the original comic book, imagine like mm-hmm. if all of those like clippings were not included in the graphic novel set of like, oh, well, that shit doesn't really belong, so we'll remove okay, it. Okay, so fine, do like the Mandalorian is doing and put these in over the credits yeah no that's why i was getting is like if when you watch the dvd are these going to be mandatory readings or they're going to be some kind of it it's but you're right it's like there's somewhere in between yeah and and that's why this like that this this medium doesn't really translate you know which was alan moore's complaint about all watchmen it's like you know i wrote this for a comic book medium so anything that translates into another is going to lose stuff in in the translation so i just don't like this from a storytelling standpoint this is not my preferred way to engage with the story. I think if you introduce something in a story, yeah. you need to have that thing pay off mm-hmm. in some way. And it can be minor. It can mm-hmm. be uh, all encompassing, whatever it needs to be. But to just throw something against the wall and have it stick and just nothing ever happens. It doesn't ever fall. What, it doesn't so, ever move. So like, what if this, if they paid this off at, so like after the credit sequence or mm-hmm. after the credits, there's a sequence of uh, Agent Petey desultorily uh, packing up his office. Yeah. 
you know, just putting everything in a box and you see a, a canola oil bottle in the background and then he opens up his desk drawer and there's that silver mask and he just kind of looks at it. Is that is that what you're looking for? Um, because I can't think that of like would anything certainly more... be a minor okay. nod to it. Yeah. Right. And, and that would have at least tied it into something Cause, as cause it stands it's now. Like, oh, it's nothing. Then people could be like, oh, Agent Petey, uh, there's some interesting threads to pull there. Like. Did he always want to be a mask? Because that's what the agent Farragut's theory is, that he, you know, in fact, they they classify him as a hero enthusiast slash obsessive solipsist uh, mm-hmm. on the Worthram spectrum. Um, that, that like, is does his agent, does his time with Agent Blake, he even had an intimate encounter with her, did that, like, push him into the, like, yes, I'm going to be a fucking fog dancer. I've been wanting to my whole life. And yeah. now, like, whereas now it's just literally, if you just, Stick to the text of the film and you don't look at the PD files, it's a complete non sequitur. Yes. And that's what I don't like about it. They okay. never do that's anything fair. with it. It's not a red herring because it has nothing to do with the plot. It's simply a thing that's there that means nothing. Yeah. And I guess I'm I'm not impressed by something that's there to mean nothing. I think you're supposed to under so is this understanding fair that that was Agent PD spying on Angela at uh, at uh, Lori's request, and I, that that's how she knew. I think that that is a fair assumption based wholly on the Pedia files and the, that the Pedipedia. Oh, real, really? Is that in the show? No, it's a surmisal, and I'm trying. I, I, yeah. I, I, I was going to double that. Like, I don't think you can. Like, there's nothing in the Pedia files that hints that he is like the 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 lube man. I guess except for this. what he said, the fog dancer shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this having the canola oil. Having this is an implication. This is not an indictment of him. Like, he's got canola. Yeah, like, no, maybe, I agree. Because like maybe he's studying yeah, Lubman. Like he's a new he's, he's, a, he's a new mask that he's he's become aware of, and he's sure. But yeah. that's not even none of that is in the show, and there's yeah. not even an inference. There's not a there's nothing, absolutely nothing. So yeah, I'm disappointed by it. I know some people love that about it. It's just not my kind of storytelling. Yeah, I can see your point. Uh, that's it. That's all we got. Yeah, let's get to the feedback. The last last feedback of Watchmen season one, series one. Uh, Watchmen at baldmove.com. We don't plan on coming back for a wrap up beyond this. This is a pretty lengthy podcast. We're going to consider a lot of feedback. Uh, so this is it until the next one. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. You'll find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. How you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. 
That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. Carrie leads us off with the observation, asexuals, myself included, are always excited when we get represented on television. Who knew the next ace icon would come in the form of a mass-murdering, narcissistic megalomaniac? Hmm. Some may argue that Vite is only celibate, but based on his tone and wording, I'd say he finds sex unnecessary and unappealing, so I'm claiming him. For better or worse, he's at least interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of people just discussing that, like, you know, based on... Pff, people's imaginings of alexander the great that maybe the way he's implying that he's actually gay mm. and that sex with women is what he'd find the kind of demeaning and un- unnecessary and unappealing um but yeah like i think a plain reading is, is he's he's uh he's a, he's above human sexuality concerns so mm-hmm. um and as far as representation it's like you know ask ask gay people how they feel about the evil gay stereotype yeah yeah um Things that are weird and non-standard get villainized uh, as often as not, and that's unfortunate. Um, but hey, he's 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 at least cool. Andrew, is he? That suit, man, Ozzy's fucking suit is awful. It's like, and it's probably of the era, but it's like a Buck Rogers outfit. It's nah, fucking terrible looking. <laughs> it's like if you literally translate the spandex. I mean, that's one of the things I think the superhero genre has learned is you've got to adapt you can't have like captain america show up in spandex yeah uh, with big elf boots on and literal wings coming off of his head like he's you know it's like you gotta you know like 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 what they did with chris evans where it's it's kevlar and leather and bat and armor like that's that's the way you go you can't i mean ozzy looks exactly like he does in the comics and it's, it's kind of glorious. Glorious and horrible. It's very yeah, Adam both. West Batman. Like, that's what yeah. you get when you take the comics and you don't translate it for the medium. Cool is not what I would describe <laughs> it as. Uh, Andrew, for the, the first episode repeatedly featured references to the music Oklahoma, going so far as have Don Johnson serenade his dinner guest with a wonderful rendition of Some People Will Say We're In Love. They went all in on a very specific musical reference based on a musical on the show's primary location of Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I think that the theater itself that young Will first saw Bass Reeves standing tall as a black sheriff in and later sheltered his great-grandchildren during the finale was not only a great callback to the opening of the show, but another nod to a famous musical that takes place in Vietnam, Miss Saigon. In Miss Saigon, a young Vietnamese woman, woman becomes a prostitute in the midst of Vietnam, the Vietnam War and then falls in love with an American soldier. Oh, it's a pretty woman, yeah. <laughs> The brothel she works at is called Dreamland, the very same name of the movie theater that originally opens for and is the most part ends the season of Watchmen. I don't think it's a coincidence, but what did Lindelof mean by this? I'm not sure, but it's too specific a connection to go unnoticed. Um, too specific a connection for me to notice. Uh, I, I don't know. Never heard of that. It's, it's like, 
I said in the the, in the beginning of this podcast, I like seemed like Ozzy Man used to use a lot of Vietnamese people and kind of like what we call below the line type of roles. Mm-hmm. Like he had famous sci-fi writers writing his script and programming the squid, and he used the the brain matter from a renowned psychic person, proto psychic person, and you know famed illustrators and all of his cleaning lady and his camera grips and his operators and the people working the fact they they seemed like they were Vietnamese probably. Because there's a language barrier, which probably helped his secrecy, probably because they were less expensive um, than hiring, you know, uh, American workers. And there's probably a little commentary on that because as you know, and then this show can't be about everything, right? This is very much about like black experience in America, but they also had a Vietnamese Asian character that was the villain and they didn't do a lot with like what the the Asian experience of racism in America is. They did not. They did almost none of that right for a show that almost should have gone down that yeah. road at some point yeah but it's tough because mm-hmm. how do you do that 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 does more than that's gonna feel more than just a hand wave you make this character yeah. a very powerful like the most powerful smartest person in the world and it's like yeah we'll let someone else fill a you know, after Ryan Cooler gets done, we'll find a Vietnamese filmmaker and and have them tell the Watchmen story I mean, from that's that perspective. A perfectly legit way to go with season two, I think. Sure, sure. Oh yeah, just pivot away from black experience in America and go to some other some other uh, uh, group or some other issue altogether. Yeah. Uh, no, have Ryan Coogler tell the Vietnamese right, story. Right. He's intimately <laughs> familiar. Let's yeah. just all take turns telling everybody else's story. <laughs> right. Try it on for size. Yeah. Everybody gets to be Steven Spielberg making uh, the color purple. Uh, okay. Corbin says, I just want to point out that Pasco D'Angelo appears to enter the open the, co- uh, the door to her bakery. Appeared to be 1985. Hmm. I mean, we're, we're all for on-the-nose passcodes on this show. Ramsey's too, 1985. Yeah. Bad motherfucker. That would have been a good one, too. Uh, John says, why would Vite store vials of his own sperm besides hubris? Vite was probably working on it with a lot of radiation in his experiments, and it could have been a precaution in case he takes mm-hmm. a dose which causes sterility. For reference, here's an article from a couple years ago. Uh, this is a news article where people were giving astronauts uh, the advice to freeze their sperm, especially ones that spend like International Space Station amounts of time, because yeah. you are above a lot of the Earth's atmosphere that does, um, a, 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 in addition to allowing us to breathe, protects us from a lot of deadly cosmic radiation mm-hmm. that causes cancer mutations. So I think the, maybe the the bigger question, the question once you ask that question. You also have to ask the question of why then didn't he fucking do anything with it? I think it's one of of those things is like, uh, hey, you know, how about I get some sperm now? And if I need it later, I've got it. You know, you'd rather have something you don't need. Sure. Need something you don't have. Yeah. But I guess what was what were the thoughts going? I guess that could be the whole thought. The entire thought going through his mind is maybe I'll need this at some point. Yeah. I'm fighting crime and, he just and my never balls found get ripped off. And then when well, then I decide that what the world needs is a bunch of Ozymandias. Yeah. Uh, maybe that was part of his plan. Maybe he was going to deliver all this sperm to Robert Redford so oh, he could create. Yeah. Uh, uh, Every healthy woman in America should report to the to the, the <laughs> right. local Ozymandias oh, Center for mandatory implantation <laughs> because what we need is more. Yeah, that's that's why Robert Redford rejected it. it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need to see the rest of his tape. Yeah, that, that, it's that, it went on for five or six hours. It's very explicit <laughs> about what he wanted to done with this sperm. 
Uh, Fern, with Wade now knowing the truth and not needing the looking glass mask to keep himself safe, and with all the references we saw of him being very Rorschach, and we saw him wear a Rorschach mask in the season finale, do we see, if we have a season two, Wade don the actual Rorschach mask and take the mantle? Would this even make sense? Um, I mean, it's certainly a way, like, uh, I mean, Wade was one of the more grounded people we saw in the series. Like, his craziness was well-founded craziness. He didn't seem like he had a lot of malice or hate towards people. Uh, it's pretty circumspect about his role as a, as a, as a white man in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be like an anti-Rorschach Rorschach, a less damaged version of Rorschach. I mean, needs, but the yeah, thing is, it's like, if he puts on a mask, then he's not going to heal, right? Like, that's what they sure. tell us. So, like, mm-hmm. do you want Wade to have a happy ending? I mean, you could have a Wade who, you know, wades through season two, uh, not being happy, and then, like Angela did. Do they need? Do they need a human lie detector slash? Uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, a criminal profiler on on the FBI's anti vigilante task force now? Probably because you know they got rid of Petey. Maybe that's a home for him. That's that's a little bit saner than donning a mask and mm-hmm. metting out justice every night. Uh, Elliot says it struck me in the finale as Vite was once again bragging about he gave all of his money away that he seems to have a blind this seems to be a blind spot of his oh so yeah this is this is just the point we made about like you can't start from nothing yeah as as Ozymandias so let's skip that James while I love the series and I'm ultimately satisfied with the finale it's sidelining of strong female protagonist was very frustrating Angela only exists in the finale to watch Cal die it's a reversal of the stuffed in the fridge trope, but no less problematic. He's referring to, I think this was a a, uh, a storyline in the the comic book, The Flash, where the Flash's wife or girlfriend or fiance was killed by a villain and stuffed in his fridge, and that became like you know, like anytime a woman suffers, she's raped or she's d- assaulted or she's killed, and it motivates the hero. That's a fridge moment. Hmm. Um, she doesn't affect the plot in any way, and she doesn't gather any information that she could have gotten by being. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. Doesn't affect the plot in any way. Uh, he continues. She's only there to lend comfort to the dying. I guess it's something nuns do, but disappointing in a cop badass heroine. What was your part problem here? She creates the fucking plot. She's the one who gives Will the information to go kill Judge. She's. Oh, he's talking about in the finale. He's like, he's like saying, like, this. It's disappointing that you got this far, and then there was nothing for the ladies to do other than tag along. I'll I'll paraphrase the rest of his email. It's like the like all Lori did was be kidnapped, tied to a chair, and then tag along with Ozymandias while he saved the day. Then of course she arrests him at the end. I mean, you're dealing with a a male god and a female wannabe god. Yeah. What is Angela's role when gods are fighting? No, I mean, I. That to me is like the most important thing, and yeah, and, and well, the most important thing is the stuff that happens after that, which Angela is intimately involved in. Yeah, that to me is her arc. It's not about like is she going to fight the gods. It's about is she going to be able to heal. Well, and it's also like this is a criticism based on the arbitrary decision to dice TV shows up into one hour plots. Like if this is one movie where the entire third act was understood, like, like Angela's heroics in the last episode were essentially the climax of the third act. And this episode is essentially a denouement. Then like that criticism goes away. But since the last hour does sideline most of the women or has one be a mega villain that gets brought down by a man, I I can see 
I, I can see being disappointed in that way. Um, it's not okay. a criticism that I have, but it's a criticism that I think tracks for, for people. And mm -hmm. that's how he ends up his emails. Like, if the show didn't handle female characters and heroes so well for eight episodes, it's fumble in the ninth to be less frustrating. So, you know, the show set itself up to be criticized by doing so well. Uh, Brian, I want to bring up the point from the finale and how it relates to Dr. Manhattan's powers being transferred to Angela. During the finale, there are at least two references to the fact that Dr. Manhattan could have done more with his powers. I believe it was first mentioned by K Senator Keene, and then again later in the episode, Will Reeves mentioned to Angela in the kitchen right before she discovered the unbroken egg. I thought Angela would have had an angry reaction to hearing this from her grandfather, but instead it seems like she had given the statement some real thought. I think this is why Angela decided to eat the egg and why the egg did indeed contain Dr. Manhattan's powers. Will Reeves relayed Dr. Manhattan's words, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Dr. Manhattan represents broken eggs in a way of making the omelet, Angela, supposition. We had the powers, but he had the powers and didn't use them perfectly. I believe Dr. Manhattan saw in Angela someone who would use his powers for the best reasons possible and to positively, positively change the world. She wanted to be a police officer from an early age and only wanted justice in the world, as did her grandfather. Uh, please let me know what you think. Uh, I, here's the thing. Even if Angela's the best person in the world, what does the best person in the world look like with Dr. Manhattan's powers? Mm -hmm. And he says, if you subscribe to the power corrupts, then the answer is never good. Like giving anyone the power to just unilaterally take executive action on behalf of all humanity is pretty scary yeah i agree with that um i agree with veit's statement that anyone who wants the power also shouldn't have the power right um and and this plays you know sort of into the idea that angela might be a candidate to actually have the power because i don't think she's ever wanted it yeah necessarily um yeah i <laughs> does power corrupt i guess is the, <laughs> the ultimate question we're getting to right like once angela has it is she going to continue down the path of healing that she's on, or is she going to change? See, I Will read something her? that is a modification that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely to power reveals. Mm -hmm. Like, when what you do with power reveals what you've had in your heart in a, in, in, in a real way. And it's so it's possible to wield power in a benevolent way. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, that's, it seems like you could go through human history and point out examples of, of both things happening. Sure. You know, um, people, people that have absolute power and then use it for like, you, I, I think about like, uh, you know, Cincinnatus and ancient Rome, our namesake, uh, our city's names, namesake famously had, uh, complete ex supreme power in Rome and times of war. And then he handed it back to the people through the Senate uh, when the war was over and resumed being a farmer. And that's always held up as being heroic, similar to like uh, George Washington. You know, some people wanted to make him the king of the United States and he served two terms and said, nope, that's enough for any man. You know, George Washington, also a slave owner. Yeah. Uh, what do those things tell us about absolute power corrupting absolutely? Yeah. So I don't know. It's they're a just, good question. They're just one data point in, in many. So I, I, I don't, I mean, that's, those are f fascinating questions, but I, I don't know that I can I can give you the answer. I'm just I'm just a podcaster. Mm -hmm. I don't have Dr. Manhattan's powers, and please no one give them to me. Uh which probably means I should be giving them to me because I don't yeah. want them. Yeah. There you go. That's all you gotta say, J J Joe. If you just would have said, <laughs> "Yeah, I don't want these powers," Dr. Manhattan would have come and just given them to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, just loudly say what the last thing I want is the power of Dr. Manhattan to enact my racist ideals yep. on America. And then you could have put him in a cage of his own logic. <laughs> uh, Bo, the bar Angela's drinking is the same bar from which the comedian killed the Vietnamese women on the day the war ended. So for Manhattan visiting there on the anniversary of the day he defeated the Viet Cong and was informed he was losing touch with humanity made a weird sort of sense to me. Maybe a reminder not to lose touch. And Angela just happened to be there drinking there the same night. He, uh, uh, so okay. This this is a, a attempt to answer the question of why Angela. That does kind of make sense. Him going back to that night, which was a on a big event. It was the event of the war being over. You know, him realizing he's lost touch of humanity, uh, and he finds a girl, a, a woman there, mourning the death of her parents as a result. I can see him seeing that as interesting in a thermodynamic kind of miracle, sort of the, sort of the the understanding of the word. Yeah, I guess when I was questioning why Angela, I was sort of thinking that it shouldn't be just, you know, uh, happenstance that they were in the same place at the same time, and I was thinking more in terms of like the longer arc of the relationship. But that mm. longer arc has to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, even in a timeline like Dr. Manhattan's, which is less of a line, more of a dot. Yeah, I suppose it could still be just a coincidence of location. Next email is Anthony Ladon. I kind of, we talked about this a little bit in uh, reference to that quote of uh, Ozymandias, uh, but he was my writing partner on Gods of Thrones, which if you're gotten over any bruised feelings might had about the ending of that would probably still make a good stocking stuffer uh mm -hmm. you can get on amazon etc cetera, etc cetera. anthony ladon says uh a lot of people are talking about um europa in terms of the garden of eden but he sees it as an anti-garden of eden theme my first clue is the tomatoes growing from trees this is kind of deep in the woods stuff as far as ancient near eastern research but think about the pre-modern agrarian notion of fruit Getting food from the ground is very difficult, whereas picking fruit from a tree is so much easier. Living in a garden as a tree guaranteed to produce fruit would be like a paradise to an ancient thinking mind. Also keep in mind that food that comes from the ground, according to the mythology of Genesis chapter 4, is cursed. By contrast, in the Europa story, even the trees produced cursed fruit. Clearly, Lindelof is playing with an edenimic theme as we later find out the Adam and Eve imagery. So the fruit of the ground versus fruit of the tree thing is supposed to nudge us towards some sort of reverse topology for this myth. Second, in the Genesis myth, the main problem is knowledge. The humans can't become godlike or they would have to leave the garden. Here, the reversal of types is really important. Ozzy is a godlike entity already. Crucially, he's known for his intellect, so he's got tons of knowledge. Unlike Adam, Ozzy doesn't belong in paradise, and as it happens, he ends up ruining paradise for the innocent dummies. Third, in Genesis myth, the main characters have to leave. They're exiled from paradise, and an angel guards them from returning. But in Ozymandias' case, he's guarded from leaving. He's a godlike because his subjects worship him like a god, but the guard in the story functions to keep him there. So again, it's a reversal of type. In short, Watchmen's Europa plotline reverses key elements of the Genesis myth. A godlike being is cursed to live inside a garden that would be paradise if not for his presence there. The very fact that he is there with godlike knowledge makes it an anti-Eden. The question that I don't know the answer is, is Ozzy therefore meant to be the devil? A few things to consider. Ozymandias tends to admire world conquerors who are worshipped as gods. This, from a Jewish perspective, is idolatry. Ozzy's link to world leaders is echoed in the final episode when he quotes from the Merneftha Stila. 
Um, and I had to look this up because this is a stone inscription by the ancient Egyptian pharaoh Mernimpheth, <laughs> uh, who reigned approximately 1213 to 1203 BCE. Uh, that's before uh, Christ. Uh, it was discovered in 1896 at Thebes and is now housed in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. The stela represents the earliest known textual reference to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, anyway, Ozzy paraphrases the stela. Israel has laid the waste and the seed is no more. Here the Pharaoh is boasting about wiping out Israel and all of Israel's children, i.e. the dictator is boasting about his success in committing genocide against the minority. I'm not sure if Ozzy is lamenting the end of Tulsa or the imminent divinity of Lady True, so I'm not sure how this would be taken. Finally, if Ozzy is the serpent in the garden, it might explain the horseshoe. Interestingly, in pre-modern England, horseshoes were thought to keep out the devil. I'm not sure how this relates to the theme of keeping things out. Here's the myth that explains the horseshoe, and he sent me a, a file from the Gutenberg Press and says it's a very weird story whereupon the devil gets captured by a blacksmith. The blacksmith makes the sh devil's hooves hurt by shooing him. Eventually, the blacksmith removes the horseshoes from the devil's hooves and makes him promise never to enter a house that has a horseshoe over the threshold. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, uh, Anthony. I don't know the whole horseshoe thing, but all the other stuff about the antithesis of the Garden of Eden seems to track really beautifully. And uh, yeah. I appreciate the extra depth there. And that's that's what I love about the Lindelof, man. He, 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 he I, what the fuck does he read? Everything. Yeah, like everything. he just has like a he just must read vor voraciously, like just everything yeah. that's interesting. He must subscribe no matter how to... weird, yeah. No, no matter how like out there, yeah. And sort of like uh, obscure. He's like just a sponge. Like every five years, he's read enough National Geographic's and essays on uh, reparations and weird things about frozen squid from space. And he's like, God damn it, I got something here. Yeah, I think the key to that is he just. He lets what he does read inspire him, mm -hmm. uh, and then he pulls from other things that he has read, which, you know, he probably doesn't read any more than an, an average reader does. Yeah. But he uses those things in interesting mm. ways. Becky, let's talk about the I Am Walrus over the ending credits and how fucking perfect that was. Uh, I'm blown away by the parallels of the song and just a generally consistent brilliance of Trent Reznor's work throughout his whole series, uh, this whole series. See how they fly. Uh, obviously, the episode title referring to the squids and the gods depicted. I am the Eggman. Obviously, reference to eggs. Uh, Mr. City Policeman sitting pretty. Little policeman in a row. Another obvious reference specifically to all the cops lined up outside of Lady True's experiment. See how they fly. See how they run. The squid flying. The people running from frozen squid. <laughs> uh, elementary penguin singing the Hare Krishna, whereas Hare Krishna is something specific. Krishna is a pretty popular Hindu god who is usually depicted as being blue. I am he, uh, I am he, is you are me, and we are all together. Leads me to believe that this is some interconnection at play, and Angela is now, in fact, Doctor Manhattan slash Cal slash John. Although, if Ozymandias is gripping a horseshoe in his teeth, makes him the walrus. Mm -hmm then maybe him and Angela will fuse as one. I don't know. Yeah. I think Kevin Smith made a movie about it. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Jeff. Uh, so in the episode, the Angela's grandmother shows up at the end. He just kind of falls over and dies as the camera pulls over, uh, pulls back on the young Angela. We see Dr. Manhattan mural graffiti to say murderer. In episode eight, we see the mural with spray painted giant yellow wang on the good doc. Obviously, as a tongue-in-cheek reference to Cal taking over later. But when Angela shows him Cal's body, he, she says he just had a heart attack and died. 
These things can certainly happen in real life to anyone at any time. But if you look at Cal, he doesn't seem like the type of person you would just have a heart attack out of the blue. Did Doc kill Angela's grandmother to keep her in Vietnam and have and kill Cal to take that? Let's be real. Very nice body. Holy shit, Jeff. This is a lot of evil yeah. to put on Dr. Manhattan. Some nefarious shit. I mean, so, I mean, maybe Cal did a lot of steroid cycles to get that perfect anatomy reference of a body he's got. And, and that uh, there, I, so, explodes okay. your heart. Certainly, there's a link between fitness and heart health. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't have to be the case. People who are in extraordinary condition can die of heart conditions at any time. Right? Yeah. Cal can look perfectly fit and healthy on the outside and be just a goddamn mess on the inside. Sure. And sometimes, like, uh, bulk is hard on your heart. That's true. Uh, And bulk does not necessarily mean fat. Like, big muscle loads. Muscles take a lot of blood. Are are also probably taking, you know, it's like, uh, it seems like the key to long life is eating as little as possible and, you know, keeping as, 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 uh, as lean as you possibly can. Yeah. And I'm failing on all of those counts. So. Same here. Uh, watch, watch me walk, walk towards an early heart attack myself. Um, I don't know. It's interesting speculation, and Dr. Manhattan's fucked up enough as a character to do something like that. But damn. Damn, man. Yeah. After what he did in Vietnam, he's going he's gonna to come back and commit personal atrocities yeah <laughs> just too minor like you know you, you, you learn nothing from his time there. yeah you explode like 10 percent of all vietnamese people in the country what's uh what's rigging a heart attack or two damn dark dark shit jeff uh let's move on to lauren where does Watchmen rank on the list of shows you have covered in 2019 i feel like i have to put it right up there with the deuce and chernobyl i mean yeah it's it's, it's, it's real both good of those but it's it's good um I, I mean, I'm struggling to come up with another one that it's I enjoy so di- more. Like how? Look, the Deuce is an amazing writing experience, and like uh, you know, Pelicanos and Simon make it look fucking easy. Mm-hmm. And and but but it's like, how do you compare something that's like about the porn industry in 1985 with this, with the giant blue dongs and frozen squid rain and yeah. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses being traumatized into wearing mirror masks. Like, it's it's yeah, wild elephants stuff. Being siphoned into or memories being siphoned into elephants. Yeah, and lube man. Yeah, like there's it's that that's. I mean, it's well. I tell you what, because the other thing uh, I forgot to mention in the uh, in in the uh, housekeeping is uh, we got the Baldies coming up. Mm-hmm. early in 2020 where we're going to talk we're going to have to sweat we're going to have to we're going to have to lay out everything we've watched and rank it because yeah. that's the thing we do so yeah. we'll have to we'll have to sweat those tune in in late january to see what we think about that uh she also says what are you most excited to cover in 2020 um uh westworld season three actually. Westworld season three you know maybe shame on me uh-huh. this might be you know the second time i get tricked here but it's Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot season two, bit of a stumble. I know. Came strong. It's like the, I the proof case, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Westworld, Aaron Paul, the new Pope. Oh I'm fuck. unreasonably yeah. excited about the new Pope. Yes. 
Like, yes. It was That's one, what shows just so much fun. It was one of the most fun things we did in the last two or three years. It's also, I think, the first time that, like, you, me, and Cecily all, like, collaborated to cover something. Mm-hmm. And now, like, you know, we got the, the team together. Uh, yeah, that's coming up real soon, January. Yeah, late uh, January. That's going to be in the Ball Move TV feed. Definitely. Check that out. Uh, and then also The Expanse. I've only seen the first three episodes. Uh, I'm going to be watching a lot of that over the break and probably be yeah. doing a lot of early coverage of that in 2020. So, And we'll see because there's always surprises. I didn't know to look forward to. I mean, Westward, or, um, Watchmen has been circled on my calendar ever since yeah. Lindelof talked about it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't looking for like Chernobyl um they come out of nowhere um there are a lot of things that i saw this year that blew me away uh fleabag um yeah. so so who knows who knows what 2020 will bring uh, a lot of shit on disney plus and hbo max for sure travis it was surprising how nonchalant angela was willing to take dr manhattan's powers and frankly a little out of character a better cliffhanger in my opinion would have been for her to find a blue egg or anything clearly designed to give its ingestor dr manhattan powers then enter her in the kitchen staring at it setting up a more interesting moral question now it's a simple matter of does it or or does she or doesn't she have mm. his powers and i think it's more compelling to wonder whether she even wants them in like a ring of power way such as don't tempt me frodo from gandalf that's a fair okay. point yeah, I, I could see that being a very satisfying ending too. But like, I so do you think it's out of character? Like, if you knew, you, like, like what could you do to Doctor Manhattan powers in terms of society? What could you personally could bring back your husband? Presumably, I don't know. It, it's so the way I view it is this is a god essentially telling you that you need these god powers. Mm-hmm. And who are you to defy a god until you become a god for yourself? Uh and maybe get a little more godlike perspective. So the one thing I guess it's a little silly is when he says, you're going to need this, this will be important for later, like her walking on water. Mm-hmm. You eat a Manhattan egg, and you now have all the powers of Manhattan, and you need to try to walk on water to see if that works. Like, I feel yeah. like that... I don't know what it'd feel like to get the mantle of Dr. Manhattan, but I'm pretty sure like if I just injected adrenaline into myself right now, I'd fucking know it. Mm-hmm. If I ingested a Dr. Manhattan power, I don't think I'd have to be like, oh, let me go look, work, work, you know, walk on water to see if it works. Yeah. Like you take LSD, you fucking know you take LSD. You, you shoot <laughs> adrenaline in your heart. You're, you're not, you don't need to go run a marathon to know you had an adrenaline shot in your heart. Like maybe the best evidence that this didn't work is the fact that she has to try to walk on water to see if it does. Hmm. I feel you there, but I don't. <laughs> Why would Doctor Manhattan leave all these clues to a conclusion that A we don't get and B is, eh, it's actually not not real. Actually, didn't leave you anything, Angela. You're gonna need to see me walk on water so that you can know you're not a god. <laughs> at the end of this, yeah. she already fucking knew she wasn't. No, she I mean wasn't it doesn't make sense in like the storytelling way, but also like her having to prove to herself that she's Doctor Manhattan doesn't make sense in a like a real kind of mechanical way. Yeah, I feel you. It's uh, I don't know, catch twenty two there. Uh, James, I absolutely love this season and totally expecting season two. Although I'm a bit worried about it post Lindelof, I doubt he'd leave it in unworthy hands. As someone who has no familiar. <laughs> Familiar. Wait, he, he doesn't get much of a say in that. Huh? What would HBO do with this is the question you have to ask. I mean, if HBO gave it to someone that Lindelof would... Like, Lindelof could start a big stink by saying this is... Yeah, so I think he would be consulted, right? I mean, I'm I'm sure HBO yeah, has wanted, enough respect for him not to want to, to just, start another Alan Moore type situation? Right, know? I don't think they would want to, but they certainly could. 
Uh, as someone who has no familiarity whatsoever with the Watchmen universe, I was very intrigued by everything, especially the concept of Dr. Manhattan and the questions of time and dimensional existence the character invokes. Oh, man. Uh, watch the movie, and if you dig that, read the comic, because mm. they really go in-depth about Dr. Manhattan and how he perceives time, and I, I think it's the best part of it. My only real problem throughout the series comes as the subtext of this episode when Lori Blake arrests Adrian. The tone of her explanation, the tone the show leaves that point on, is one that the FBI is this morally righteous entity which will make everything right, even if it means up to and including arresting the president. This comes off to me as a slight betrayal of the show's general message up to this point, that authority figures, specifically law enforcement, are easily corruptible and untrustworthy. The show, without presenting it as a morally ambiguous or worrisome possibility, designates the FBI as an entity to which will oversee this tumultuous period of pers presidential arrest and chaos, which would result from the world finding out about the squids being a hoax. Perhaps this view is influenced by my own baseline level of distrust for law enforcement, <laughs> but maybe you guys, with your knowledge of the comics, could enlighten me as whether this sentiment of distrust for authority is prevalent in the source material, whether you guys view the FBI thing as an even slight betrayal of the message of the comics. I'll confess I didn't even think about it in that that you know like my my cynicism would be reserved for like it just Lori Blake arresting Ozymandias and then it just doesn't work you know in the same way that like Will says I got friends and power in high places and you know she tried to arrest him and it didn't work like she's going to try to arrest Ozymandias and it's going to even be even more so but what do you think I uh so I can't speak to, you know, what the comic has to say about this uh, and the, the distrust or not that it has of the government because I haven't read the whole thing. Um, but I guess the way I was looking at that is this is what Lori can do in the moment. Mm -hmm. And whether or not it works, whether or not it's like this big game changer that, you know, brings down Robert Redford and the government and all the corruption therein isn't on her. She can only do what she can do. Yeah. And this is the thing. Unless she puts a fucking bullet in his head, this is the thing she can do. And mm -hmm. so she does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what I would say about the original Watchmen is like you can find almost any relationship to law enforcement within those comics, depending on which of the okay. like 12 central characters you're talking about. Like Ozymandias has a right. different view of government that Rorschach does. Then Dan, a uh, night owl does, then, you know, Lori does, and the clearly document Hatton does. And that change also, you know, uh, th that, that, that viewpoint changes. Like I think Dr. Manhattan originally wanted to be like a Superman type of character for the United States. And then yeah. he goes through Vietnam and gets jaded about that. Um, so there's a lot, it's very complicated. And like I said, it's depending on who you're talking about and the Watchmen would have this. And the overall, yeah, I, I don't think this is Pollyanna because like even the PD files indicates that like this thing that Lori's doing, it's it's like that's that's something she did to be true to her character. And she's probably going to pay a personal price for it. Um, just like Rorschach was going to tell the truth in the face of Annihilation and did. Yeah. You know, Um so yeah, I don't know. Like I, I said, you could do worse than checking out the comics or at least a movie and see what you think. But that's my take. Uh, Tommy, I really enjoyed the finale that Keen revealed the cage was built from melted down lithium watch batteries given that Dr. Manhattan is the son of a watchmaker. It almost seems like Lindelof was drawing a connection to a technology that was a successor to mechanical watches being used to create the successor to Manhattan. It's a nice touch. Um, certainly this show is no less weird than Kevin using his dick as a security device and the leftovers. So perhaps uh, that's how bald yeah. new security system operates. So it doesn't seem so weird. Well, it did that's in some kind of dream 
state. It did. We had the dick censor, but then we hired Cecily, and it was a whole fucking fiasco. So we had to had rip to it out. out. Yeah, our dicks, not the censor. Just can't have any more fun in the office. Nah, you can't. You fucking hire yeah. a woman. It's just yeah. like all dull, and you can't make <laughs> dick jokes anymore, and can't talk. We about used to not wear pants in the yeah. office, and. <laughs> Now we, have now we to. got these black breeze with the wings on the hips. It's <laughs> it's really bizarre. Uh, moving on to Rich. I'm not one of the folks who is bothered, bothered, who is bothered by the fact that the loop wasn't closed on Lube Man on screen, but there is one loop that's left open that does bother me. Dan Dryberg was never heard from huh. and is still in prison. Did you see the meme? <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah, I did. Where they took uh, Pablo Escobar from Narcos, like all the oh, scenes no. of him sitting in his compound and different positions being lonely, and they superimposed bars over all those scenes and then photoshopped Dan from the comic's face oh, on it. Oh, is that what those shots were from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just okay. did, like, it just is sitting in I jail. I thought they were from the movie. Okay, <laughs> that, that makes more sense. All right. Yeah, it's a sad Pablo meme only with Dan Dryberg. Gotcha. Um, he's referred to several times. But at one point, Keen even hints to Lori as president he could pardon him, but he never made it into a story that beyond that uh, and his the initial appearance of Archie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, because like I don't know what Dan would have brought to the table. I mean, I can sort of feel you. It's it's like the introduction of Lube Man, and he never comes back. Mm-hmm. In this case, they're they're not introducing a character so much as just kind of nodding to fans of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. But you know, Lube Man is different to me because it's a whole a whole cloth creation of the show. Yeah, and they do nothing with it. My headcanon says that Dan is in prison because of his relationship to Rorschach and him being guilty. That like as he saw history unfold, that maybe he thought he should have you know when he could have made a difference, come forward and said something, and now he doesn't. And Laurie is going to take this deal to chase down Mask in, in, in um, exchange for a freedom, and Dan's like, nah, fuck this. I'm going to be, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to be like Rorschach and not compromise. Um, but that's just, yeah, I, I don't know. But season two, maybe there, maybe he's being saved for season two. Could be. Uh, William, first of all, if I love the show, as a huge fan of the graphic novel, and I think the writers, actors, directors, and let's give it up for the composers, all hit it mm-hmm. out of the park. My one issue I'd love to know your thoughts on is squaring how Dr. Manhattan left the novel and then entered the season. A uh, point you made well in the deuce was about the character's exit trajectory and how we can imagine where they are based on how we left them. And that's, so just to briefly illuminate that, we both talked about on the Deuce. What's one of the amazing things we're able to do is each season of Deuce took place roughly five years after the last. And the genius of Simon was he's able to throw a character along a trajectory where when you see them again within a couple of seconds, you knew where they were, what direction they were going, and like, ah, yes, this feels right. And it's very efficient. If you can do that as a writer, holy shit, it's it's an amazing superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the comic, Dr. Manhattan is losing his connection to humanity. He leaves earth, not only to create more life, but because he is no longer connecting with people In his return to the series, he comes back to earth to start a relationship with Angela. While I subscribe to Aaron's theory of Dr. M still wants to get his D wet. It feels like the character regressed to more human, a more human entity than we left the Watchmen novel. I would imagine he would have become even more distant and removed from what he thinks of as human interests like love, relationship, loneliness, etc. What do you think, Jim? I mean, that did seem to be the trajectory he was on uh, during that book, but he he sort of he sort of rebounds on humanity with Laurie in the the comics, um, which is 
you know, strangely, the thing that connects him more with humanity, but also drives him to to leave yeah. and go try and create some life of his own. Because, because like the doc, I think is a little bit maybe more re in touch with his hum- humanity, but that yeah. humanity is on the rebound because he's been dumped by his love interest for another man. Wait, so, wait, humanity's on the rebound, but he's been dumped. The doctor man, his humanity's on the rebound, so he's uh-huh. feeling a little bit more human. But part of that human reaction is he's getting over a bad breakup. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. So he goes gotcha. to kind of find himself, and we see in this series that he did went and created life and was disenchanted by it. Yeah. So it's like now he's on the rebound. Like, okay, uh, I tried the God thing for a while, didn't work out, and he's on. He's 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 now looking for another rebound, and he finds an Angela. And unlike most rebounds, it actually mm-hmm. goes beautifully for ten years until catastrophe hits. But I I don't know. That's I guess that's the thing. It's like. So Dr. Manhattan himself explained to Laurie on Mars that it wasn't that he disassociated from humanity that he went to Mars, but he was so distraught about all the damage that he had done to the people that he loved in his life. You know, he thought he gave him cancer and then the, you know, the woman that he was trying to love as best as he could rejects him and he had to go to like deal with that pain. Like that doesn't seem like a person detached from his emotions. It's no, still a person it struggling with them. And he failed, um, mm-hmm. you know, in his mission, which was given to him by Phillips and Crookshanks when he was a kid. Uh, to create something he beautiful. He failed to create something beautiful. Mm-hmm. He created something that was Ozymandias' version of hell uh, and and his own version of something incredibly boring and hmm. disinteresting. So so what he created, beautiful, something beautiful, is what he created with Angela. Yes, that's what I think. All right, He came like back that. to give it another attempt to create something beautiful by the definition of the the Phillips and Crookshanks that we knew mm-hmm. that he knew as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, final email, Harris. Like all ambiguous endings, I think the answer to does Angela walk on water at the end is it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's not a math equation that can be solved with pro- a proper application. It's a thematic statement, a metaphor. Watchmen is unusual in that it was made by a creator who, based on the combo of his past success and working for HBO, got a level of control over this season that is unusual. Even more unusual is that he got that control and had a very clear idea what he wanted to do with it. The season of Watchmen was dense and screamed its themes with every frame. The show was about the destructive power of uh, destructive nature of power and specifically the way that power has caused so much damage to black Americans. James Baldwin says, if you want to lynch me, that's your problem. If you have the power to lynch me, that's my problem. The Black Wall Street massacre was a premier example of that where white people had the power to cause so much death and destruction. The problem of racism isn't that the Klan hates black people. The problem is that they feel confident about performing a massacre and not facing any consequences. What Watchmen proposed was the fictional America where there was eventually some consequence for the actions the racist Americans took in the form of hooded justices' violence and eventually red fredations. Dr. Manhattan is a being whose power is functionally that of a god. In the past, he used that power to do what even the seemingly unlimited power of the United States government could not, win the Vietnam War. But he came to the conclusion after he murdered and terrified so many Vietnamese that exercising his power is immoral. That's the point of view of actual political anarchists, not that society or government shouldn't exist, but that any power is inherently immoral. Alan Moore is an anarchist, and Lindelof has at the very least absorbed the perspective of Moore when it came to writing the show. Dr. Manhattan has come to the conclusion that the moral thing to do is to do nothing. 
Dr. Manhattan cannot exercise his power in a morally good manner. It isn't possible, and the mechanism to do what the Manhattan can do shouldn't exist. That's why he chose to forget who he is. The best thing he can do for the world is to live a simple, good life. Every frame of the show is about the ways people try to use their power to control others and how the power or how the problem is the power and not the people. So does Angela walk on water? It doesn't matter. What does matter is that no matter what, people will pursue power no matter how clear it is that they shouldn't. Dr. Manhattan should not exist. Angela should not have tried to become him. If she does have the power of Dr. Manhattan, she will not make the world a better place, no matter how good a person she is, just like she didn't make the world a better place when she was torturing and beating people as a police officer. Just like Hooded Justice didn't make the world a better place, it just isn't possible to control the lives of others in a way that is moral. That's interesting. So here's, I find anarchism appealing because some of its premises are, seem like absolutely true. That that power is inherently bad. Attempts to control people are inherently bad. Um, But I guess my problem with anarchism is if you let, don't let anyone make decisions, then you let anyone make the decisions. And the people that end up making decisions in those environments are... The, the, the strong that can get some things done and you know being strong and willful does not make a person good so that's mm-hmm. why i think democracy is a great compromise between you know anarchy which is the freedom of the absolute freedom of the individual and you know some kind of rigid you know top-down government where the people have no say um so yeah, like I like 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 this 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 uh, and I think you're right about Doctor Manhattan seeing that because like the result of that philosophy is extreme passivity, extreme uh, pacifism, and I just I don't know the real world sometimes. That's the problem. You gotta crack skulls and name a good, or yeah, make or, an omelet, or only the bad people crack skulls. <laughs> so that's the thing. I so I've been listening to Dan Carlin's Supernova in the East series. Lately. Yeah, and it okay. has given me a a whole new perspective on power on a on a worldwide scope. Sure, um, and and what that power means and how it's used and why it's used. And my first question is, okay, oh well, okay. First, let me say I broadly agree with the premise here mm-hmm. that power should not be sought. Um, but given that there are people who are going to seek power. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those people? Uh, if if you believe that they shouldn't have power, don't you need power to combat the people who would who have power? Yeah. The powerless cannot combat the powerful. So wh- how how do you come to some kind of realistic, useful uh, form of power here? Mm-hmm. I I don't know the answer. I think that's the the number one question perhaps in the entire worldwide society, how do we get people to responsibly wield power? Because yeah. power is going to exist. It has mm-hmm. to. It's fundamental to our society. Yeah. And 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 it's what's apparent is like we've evolved to deal with like groups of the in the low hundreds, like to cooperate in that. And we live yeah. in a society a world that now has seven going on eight billion people. And you know, this is something uh, I'll plug my political podcast, Three Right Turns, on the Swizzbold Network. Um, something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Like, it seems obvious to me that to get where I want humanity to be, which is some kind of like, you know, science fiction utopia, it's going to require ever more cooperation. 
amongst ever larger segments of society. Like, you know, uh, like, and I think the next 100, 200 years is going to be, uh, you you know, the the last couple hundred years has been the rise of the state. And then like the next couple hundred years is going to be the collapse of the state into like some kind of unified global government. Um, But saying that just sets people, I mean, like uh, one world government is literally like a buzzword for conservative people of like, you know, a a dystopian hell where like the wrong types of people use that uh, massive power to to put the right groups of people uh, in persecution and jail uh, to death. Um, And so like, I don't know, because like my utopia sounds like another person's hell. But and I it's don't... an inevitability with that view of power, right? Like but they're if... but they're fracturing off humanity into groups of people that isolate and don't cooperate and try to maximize their own benefit over other people's detriment is yeah. like my idea of some kind of dystopian hell. Right. And at one some point, those ideas are going to have to fight out, hopefully in some kind of marketplace of ideals. Well, ideas are not... not a battlefield, but the one's going to have to win. And because like in the old days like yeah. i'd tell those people like go off to another frontier and set up your own perfect libertarian anarchist utopia and leave me the fuck out of it but there's no like maybe i don't know maybe they can go to mars or the moon or something but like we we just have this planet and we don't have that those two ideologies are completely opposed so i've seen how that works in expanse it's yeah. not it's not great uh yeah. so so that's the thing like these <laughs> if you if you believe that power corrupts mm-hmm and you believe that's always true, yeah. then there is no real resolution to this because in order to, this is the thing, you you get the people, it all it takes is one person who wants power mm-hmm. to take power, yeah, and then you need power to fight them. Mm-hmm. And if you think that the power is the corrupting influence here, then everyone who rises above uh, above everyone else will always be corrupt, Yeah, will always be nefarious and evil. Right. And I think the anarchists will say, well, you should distribute that power. Like, you shouldn't have, like, a giant, like, army for a whole... You should have, like, you know, like, some kind of smaller militias that... But so it's everyone like, is but equally then, corrupt? Yeah, that... well, but then it's like, then then you're going to be vulnerable to a strong man who, uh-huh. like, amasses a bunch of power against the social compact to do so, and then uses that to destroy your little anarchist utopia. No, like, if, you have, if you have a utopia... Uh-huh. Um, it has to be one based on power right. and it has to be ever vigilant against anything that would challenge it. Yes. And it has to, without mercy, strike those things down. It has to wield its power to crush those things. Otherwise the utopia will be at some point usurped. Yeah. And if you have a society that voluntarily limits its power as a way to make itself kinder, gentler, better, more utopia, they, it seems like what the contradiction is they're going to be at the mercy of a society who's more right. like warlike, you yeah. know? Uh, and you, there's several science fiction play, you know, like the you know, the the what happens when like the Klingons meet the Vulcans or whatever. What happens when Rick meets Negan, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what 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 happens when you have a war of those ideologies? And yeah, shit, I don't know what 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 it looks like on a planetary scale. Um, I probably won't live enough to find to find out. I, I, I honestly <laughs> don't. I don't, I don't think anyone will. Yeah. I, I think this is a conflict with uh, without a resolution. Yeah, and that we will be fighting this battle. For eternity, and I yeah. think even if you have some unifying event like a squid fall or an alien presence uh, mm-hmm. that we're made aware of, 
that does nothing to change this equation. Yeah. And you know, how do you, how do you, if like, a, like a, if it seems like sometimes generations of people learn a lesson of like, mm -hmm. uh, you look at like the reaction to world war two and some of the art and some of the policy that was put in place after that seemed to be like to try to fix the problems. But then you get three generations removed and like, what the fuck is all this shit for? This is keeping us from being efficient and making money. And yeah, lessons are either forgotten or they're yeah. used as, as a way to, uh, exploit them and, yes. and claim the power back for people who want to use it for their own purposes right so i i, I yeah I, that there's i don't know that there is answers it's but it's it's important to talk about them and i'm glad someone like damon lindelof is using a platform as cool and entertaining as this to start you know asking these questions and having these conversations and then for a lot of people it's an existential question mm -hmm. you know it's not that's that's the thing that was most notable notable to me about this hardcore history podcast is it's sometimes not a question about whether or not we want to wield this power it's a question about whether we're going to exist yeah in if we don't mm -hmm. and that is a that is a problem that i don't think is solvable yeah because there's no universal standards of like when it's right you know when is like like just war it's like when is a war just well you know yeah i guess it depends <laughs> uh heady stuff we got into this season on Watchmen. Uh, thank you. If, you, if you're listening to this at the end, thank you so much for being along on the ride with us. It's been highly enjoyable. It's been great television to watch. Uh, thank you for all the feedback and the, um, the praise and uh, the extra information. Like We had some really good takes this year. Um, and, uh, of course, we're going to be you know, kind of uh, shifting into holiday mode to spend some time with our friends and families over the next few weeks but we'll be back roaring in 2020 with all the stuff we've already talked about new pope uh picard better call saul stuff they're all coming out early there'll be lots of movies ahead we'll be seeing star wars this week that's right we're excited about that that'll yeah. be happening a couple days by the time you hear hear this uh lots of stuff going on at baldmove.com please follow us along there all of our social media is at baldmove you never know when we'll cover something that will perk up your ears or maybe we'll cover something that'll cause you to perk up your ears i had that a lot like hey you never would have watched the leftovers if you guys hadn't kept talking about it mm -hmm. so hey you know you can, you can follow along with us like digital nomads as we go from show to show mining it for podcast glory uh baldmove.com is where you find all that stuff uh, thanks for listening and watching for those of you guys watching our uh, videos and we'll see you in 2020 until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya <laughs>